This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information that you need to live a healthier, happier life, to uh, you know learn the latest and the greatest, but really most importantly to help you maximize you and your family because it's hard. No, but who's out there looking out for you? Come on. Everybody else just wants to make a buck on you. Not us. We're here to just give you the information you need. Today, we're going to be talking politics with our Washington insider. Get you caught up on that. Find out, uh, you know, about the latest and the greatest, really, of Trump Trump Fest 2016. There's a lot to talk about there. We will be getting into that. Also, um, we, of course, are going to be giving you the latest news uh, and research and studies and, you know, everything you need. We we <laughs> we, we got to get real about uh, Saturday Night Live. Come on. Saturday Night Live had a little Dana Carvey reincarnation. A little church lady. I mean, how how long ago was that when the church lady – was on and uh you had to you have to you have to love the church lady because if you remember everything was always about the spawn of darkness satan right isn't that wild well who else would the church lady be interviewing this week except the very person that john boehner said was lucifer (laughs) ted cruz so, uh, you know, even though Trump left carnage, he he didn't leave Saturday Night Live without anything. He did create a great opportunity for Saturday Night Live to have fun with Ted Cruz. So if you haven't seen that, so you got you to gotta go check out that interview um, because, honestly, it's just one of the age-old awesome bits Saturday Night Live has done. And to reincarnate it around – uh, Ted Cruz makes it even better. So we'll be getting just all things political this morning. Um, also want to, you know, try, hopefully, to keep your hope up and your excitement up for life. It is a Monday, so that doesn't always make it easy, but we'll be um, getting to that. And uh, later um, in the show, in the second hour, we'll be talking about moms and the impact moms have on um, marriage. You got to watch out for that. And uh, anyway, we'll get to all of that. But first, let's get to the head- the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin? Thanks, Matt. During an appearance on ABC's This Week, Donald Trump said that unifying the Republican Party behind him is not entirely essential right now. I think it would be better if it were unified. I think it would be. There would be something good about it, Trump said. But I don't think it actually has to be unified in the traditional sense. This comment comes as Sarah Palin, a surrogate for Trump, said that she would be helping the primary opponent running against Paul Ryan to defeat him. Mitt Romney and William Crystal, a conservative commentator and editor of the Weekly Standard, met privately over glasses of water Thursday to discuss running a third-party candidate and the possibility that that candidate might be Romney himself, the Washington Post reports. 
Crystal has been a major part of the hashtag Never Trump movement. Romney came pretty close to being elected president, so I thought he may consider doing it, especially since he has been very forthright in explaining why Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton should not be president of the United States, Crystal tells the Post. Romney announced this week that he won't be supporting Trump for president. The Washington Examiner reports Romney sounded much like an independent candidate during an awards gala for the American Friends of the Hebrew University this week. I wish we had better choices, said Romney, and I keep hoping that somehow things will get better and I just don't see an easy answer from where we are. Democratic presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders picked up 49 of 67 delegates divided up by Washington, according to district-level data released Saturday to the Associated Press. The Vermont senator adds that to the 25 of 34 delegates he picked up with his March caucus win in the state. But even with that haul, Sanders trails far behind frontrunner Hillary Clinton. Clinton has about 94% of the delegates needed to win the nomination. Sanders has vowed to stay in the race through the Democratic National Convention in July. Marvel's Captain America Civil War reached the top of the box office with an impressive $181.8 million haul for its opening weekend. Overseas, it has made a total of $678.4 million in just 12 days since its release. It is now extremely likely to become the first movie of 2016 to cross the $1 billion threshold. And that's it for this morning. There's your update, Matt. Back to you. Thank you, Caitlin. Appreciate it. Um, Interesting day of news. Uh, Now, uh, Palin is back in the news. She's on the hunt. She will, I guess, be supporting the person running against Paul Ryan. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure. They keep saying Donald's looking for a politician, maybe a past governor. What are the odds that Donald Trump brings Sarah Palin in as vice president? Whoa. Talk about SNL. They would end up... uh, Jumping on that like crazy. Anyway, it is a crazy time in politics. If you haven't been paying attention, just when you thought, you know, it would calm down a bit. Well, Donald had to put together the the GOP and unify the party. Instead. um, Or does he? Or does he? Paul Ryan shocked him. He was surprised by Paul Ryan saying, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And apparently they have a meeting scheduled for Thursday. Oh, could you imagine that? they will that? decide. Maybe they'll have a showdown. Who knows? What do you do? I mean, the, I, I guess Trump doesn't want to be controlled by the party machine. What's the big deal? It seems like Donald, sure, you won the election or you won the not, you won the nomination, but – and his big point is, I've got all these votes. These people are behind me. Yeah. But there's more people that didn't vote for him. Quite a bit, yes. There's more GOP members that didn't vote for him, and that's, I guess, who Paul Ryan's representing. So it just seemed like to me Paul was saying, why don't we – I'm not there yet. There's a lot of carnage. Plus it almost just seems like he's saying, where are we going? So before I give you my full nomination, I want to know where we're going. Where is this bus going? It's crazy. I don't know. He doesn't match up with the Republican platform that, mm-hmm. that they have at the moment. And right. then it, it'll, it, of course, gets amended and updated for the convention, usually to try to get in line with the candidate. Right. And 
they're not sure if they want to go that far with the platform to get in line with with Trump. They want Trump to kind of meet them halfway or mm-hmm. come to their side, and that's kind of what they're going to talk about. Well, and and think of this: Donald is or uh, Ryan Paul Ryan is representing all of these downline vote ballot issues that and, and candidates that have to get elected on the coattails of Donald, right? And a they lot to, of them they are, to try to run and exist politically while Trump is talking about what he's going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we, what was it? Uh, John McCain. Mm-hmm. He brought up his concerns. He's in a, a, a what, 30 percent, 40 percent for his life. Hispanic uh, district. And he says he's fighting for his life. So I don't but, know. It's But then over the weekend, uh, McCain came out kind of supporting Donald again. Maybe he got a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Look, come on. I mean, don't make me send my people over there. It's just, it's there are a, rumors. <laughs> uh, it's crazy, folks. And this, again, why he's he's the Don. He's yep. already coming out, too, on Bill Clinton, on Hillary's past. Like, don't you just sit on it? Just sit for a minute. He seems like he's really eager. Yeah, just sit. <laughs> just relax. Unify your party. Shouldn't you hold that back? That's really like your big, your big hitter. Yeah, but I think what he's learned is you just got to release the – you got to get the person named early. Release the dogs early and then yeah. – just clean up the mess after. And then just keep because sending dogs out. What I mean, I, I understand what he's saying, but do you think that is really fair game? He's saying it's fair game. If Hillary wants to go with, you know, uh, what Trump is attacking women and is yeah. bad on women, all this, is that fair game to bring up the infidelity that happened in her yeah. marriage? Well, yeah, and the funny thing is, is it wasn't even her infidelity. No, but that, he's saying he, she enabled it. Yeah, but and she also is. And then, she dis- also and then destroy these women, yeah. right? But sure, bring it up, I guess. Is it fair game? He says it's yeah. fair game. Well, I mean, it's fair game, but so is his entire history. So is everything he's ever said on Stern, Howard Stern. So is everything. Yeah. So this, that's why this is going to be crazy dumb. It's good. I mean, it's fair game. It's not good for the country. No. But two, it's weird because there are younger generations that don't know much about any of that past. I've, either I, I've seen several of our producers out here in our, our offices reading up on Whitewater. Yeah. Know, like they go to Wikipedia to see what Whitewater is about. Interesting. They try to look up the – someone I had saw – it was a, a, a list of people supposedly that died because of the Clintons. You oh, know, yeah. just There's these rumors of people they died because maybe the Clintons said, okay, they need to go away type of thing. And Get rid- there's like nine or ten people that are that are attached to that sort of internet rumor type things, and I've seen people kind of poking around in there too, trying but, to just see what the what's the story because they'll hear references to yeah. this stuff. Oh, yeah. But it seems like we're just going to burn everybody out. Yeah, there's not going to be a, a, an open, uh, honest discussion of important political issues. No. It's going to be mudslinging from the beginning. That's what I want to talk to Joe about. Is I mean, is this going to be the first kind of TMZ, full-on TMZ type of election Could where be. you don't even really – you can't get into issues because there's going to be too much mudslinging. But that's how Trump excelled through the primaries. Right. Stay away from the issues. Just stay in the nonsense. Just keep shucking and jiving. Yeah. Moving. Shucking and Call them a name. Give them a nickname. Point something out. And like Hillary Is he will, Canadian? Hillary yeah. will pick up all the the women's vote, but it may not matter because I believe no one will end up voting. I think it'll drive people from voting. I think it'll just create a malaise. Like, uh, yep. 
Unbelievable. That, and, and then they, then the, the question is, who does that work for? The if libertarian dr- candidate Johnson. <laughs> is that what it is? That nobody knows now, about. Today is the the last day you can register as a presidential candidate in the state of Texas. Ah. So that this is the day where if you're going to have a third party candidate, they need to step up. It would cost supposedly like eight to ten million dollars to get on the ballot everywhere, and very few people would have that. And many money. places you need signatures. Mm-hmm. To get on, so yeah. thousands of signatures. Well, it would cost millions just to forge that many signatures, right? <laughs> I and mean, so, hypothetically, like over the weekend, you have Mitt Romney meeting with uh, William Crystal, yeah, over con- a glass of water, oh. which was an interesting <laughs> a glass of water statement. And it, it, like they're trying to convince him to run or something, and yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I, he, my wife's like, who, who's that going to help? And I went, probably Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. maybe. Would it? I don't know. Or would it help because, Trump? Well, I don't know, but I think in the end, Trump would have to beat up Romney, which he would, but he's already beating up Hillary. I think it would just be a slugfest, and in the end, John, John, Governor Johnson would win as the libertarian. <laughs> I mean, it's it's weird. Yeah. This is a crazy time. I mean, really, this is scary. Like, what is the deal? We'll ask Joe. Joe will know. I want to know, too, of the... I mean, what do you do? Do you change? Should all the media change the rules now? I mean, at least kind of the mainstreamish media, where we only we don't allow us to just go for thirty minutes of Donald's latest event, and then maybe five clips of something that yeah. Hillary Clinton said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they just turn the camera. We are waiting, as you see this podium. We are waiting for Donald Trump. He's and a half f- hour behind. We've been waiting for thirty minutes. They'll fill an entire hour. We'll let you know when he arrives. That's crazy. Yeah. That's not how you do news. Come on. Come on. Anyway, we will get to that in just a minute. We're going to take a break and come back and start uh, with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Find out what he thinks about what's going on with Paul Ryan and really what is happening. I just thought at first it was just Paul Ryan saying, I need some time to process this. But now it seems like there's more going on behind the scenes, like political, you know, gamesmanship to figure out who is going to control this party. Will it be Donald Trump or Paul Ryan? Stick with us, folks. We're going to uncover the mystery right here on the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see what's going on, the real picture, so you can vote intelligently. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, we've got to sift through all the chaos going on in the political world. Who best to do that than our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, joins us uh, over the phone. And um, Joe, is uh, has, he's been a past party leader in uh, the GOP back in Utah back in the day. But he also has run for Senate and served as an assistant administrator for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration and uh, currently is CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States, also improve the markets as well. So Joe, though, knows Washington. He has a million friends back there, and that's why we call him our Washington insider. Again, not a title he likes to call himself. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good, good to have you. Where are you today? So I'm headed to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ooh, 
Excellent. Go go find out if they're going to vote for Trump to to swing this entire thing toward the GOP. So I'm meeting with the EPA. I doubt that there are a lot of uh, Trump supporters there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not going to see a lot of Trump support there. So, Joe, what do you think about the Paul Ryan, Donald Trump meltdown? It seems like he had enough fighting with, uh, you know, the other 16 or 17 candidates that when he had a chance to just take a break, he couldn't stop fighting. Yeah, you know, um, I have heard from actually literally some insiders, a couple of people who actually know Trump, and they say there are two Donald Trumps. One of them is a polite, courteous, genteel guy, Mm -hmm. and the other is a persona invented for reality TV. And you know what? That might be true, but uh, the evidence still seems to be that his default position is the reality TV Donald but uh, he's not a stupid person. And I think uh, just maybe to tee up an issue here, he's been quoted, he's said many times, you know, why should I change my playbook? You guys earlier were talking about how, uh, you know, his playbook has worked so far. Right. And so the, but the real question is, what is his playbook? So one aspect of his playbook is, I'm politically incorrect. I'm going to say anything. And, uh, and he, of course, he does say anything, but you, you, you adverted earlier to, uh, his Howard Stern, uh-huh. uh, interviews, uh, which are already, already in TV spots. They're what? already in TV yeah. spots. So, but on the other hand, um, there might be a little bit of a message of madness because if you sort of scrape away the reality star guy, we well, have a guy who's been pretty smart about one thing. So I would just say, <laughs> footnote, I, I have a, a, a really, a truly a Democrat insider, uh, and they are, some of them are very nervous mm. inside because it's better everything's been so unpredictable. And, and my friend characterized uh, Trump as a, as a monkey with a machine gun. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you just, maybe there's no controlling him, but maybe yeah. he's uh, crazy like a fox because what his real MO has been is to speak to issues of the highly targeted group that he wants to win. Mm. So in the Republican primaries, he was all about immigration, all about political incorrectness, all about the evils of the government, all about jobs, um, all issues that resonate with the 40% of the people who voted for him. So what he owned and how he took over, some people would characterize it as a hostile takeover of the Republican Party, he did it with a with a minority of the voters. Sixty percent of the people didn't vote right. for Donald Trump, but enough voted, and there was enough fragmentation that he's able to get the delegates necessary. Now, so you think why wouldn't he then just unify the party? Why wouldn't he just come together and say, "I'll start with Paul Ryan. He's going to be the the Speaker of the House." Uh, I know that um, that Trump seems to only have a, a, a marginal awareness of the thing called the Constitution, but when you actually, if in the odd chance actually gets elected, he's going to have to work with Paul Ryan right. to get anything done. So, but, so is he just crazy? Is this just the default uh, reality show? Or is he pivoting a little bit more? And as part of this whole interchange with Ryan, he's starting to say things that don't sound quite so right-wing Republican. Maybe a minimum wage isn't such a bad idea. Right. Maybe my tax cuts really won't be for the rich. 
maybe when we negotiate this whole thing out, maybe the they they're not quite as deep cuts as we all want, but you know, you have to negotiate. What he's pivoting toward another set of voters, i.e. the majority of voters in in the middle that he's got to to win and he's got to peel off some um, Democrat votes. So his strategy may be brilliant, it turns out. It might be brilliant. He's It's so interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you can almost tell that he's, he's, he's apparently going after someone else. But why would you not – what's the benefit of um, Paul Ryan? Because, I mean, he's the sweetheart of the GOP, right? He's – but does does is it just that he's being a jerk or is it that I mean well, what is it that he wants why would he want to tick Paul Ryan off because isn't that more of the conservative base that he needs to stay in the party to support him? Well, as I say, he could be doing something brilliant or he could just be a reflexive, just yeah, non, there you go, uh, non thoughtful guy because what he could be saying is. Which he has, in fact, said even before uh, all this, you know, before the Paul Ryan flap started, and maybe it was right about the time he said, "I don't need though. I don't need to unite the party. Yeah, I don't need that." And he, because he's saying, "Okay, now that I've got the nomination, most of those people are going to vote for me because I'm not Hillary." So they may think I'm uh, bad on Paul Ryan, but what they know is is that I'm not Hillary, and he might just be counting on that. Owning that base, that Republican side of the, the equation, and going after the middle or the left edge, going after Bernie's voters, and that's that. That could mm. be that could turn out to be brilliant. Yeah, I mean that's the or, thing. or it could turn out to be the crazy with the machine gun, right? Exactly. <laughs> and I guess that's the th- funny thing about this is n- nobody knows, right? I mean that's what I was thinking was weird about the Ryan thing is. If I were Paul Ryan, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not there yet, but Donald, show me. Show me you can do this, and I'll start throwing my support behind you. Yeah, and I think Donald, at, for sure, in the center of his being is, I don't need to kowtow to anyone. Right. And uh, particularly this now right-wing edge guy, well, I don't even need them anymore. Well, unless, of course, you're president and you want to be blocked. All of those things. Yeah. Well, then he figures that that's a new day too. If, if I yeah. get to be president, then then you know, this is a person who is not bound by any sense of philosophical, ideological precedent. Hmm. This is a person who can, in the same soundbite, take inconsistent positions. So he's not. He's he's thinking. Well, if I get to be president, then that's another pivot. That pivot is okay. What, what's the hand of cards I have to deal with now? Oh, oh! There's a speaker of the house. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll we'll talk to him then. So I think he's made a calculation. He does not need the philosophical, ideological right wing of the party to win. Wow! Because he's gonna he's gonna get him. Or well, this is attributing a chess player's mentality to somebody who might not be a chess player. He maybe he's a checkers player. Maybe he's a paintball player. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but, but but he could be saying at some level, I don't need the right wing of the Republican Party anymore. I I I own a hardcore group of populists for whom it doesn't matter what I say. So he's got a very chunk, big chunk of a base that it doesn't matter what he says. 
And so you've got these National Review, Paul Ryan, you know, ideological people on the right, and going, okay, I don't, I don't need you. Yeah, right. Can, and, and they're all fragmenting themselves. They're, you know, you've got some very powerful, really smart conservatives on the Paul Ryan, let's just call it the Paul Ryan wing right now, who say, look, we like Trump. Some of them affirmatively like him. Some of them say, okay, I don't really like him, but he's not Hillary, so we're going to be in. Or a chunk of them are saying, and not, and not a very big chunk, by the way, are saying, hashtag never Trump. Right. And, you know, so the people in the first two categories who actually like him, who are conservative, or will tolerate him, are saying to the hashtag never Trump, okay, what that means is hashtag ready for Hillary. That's what you're saying. Right. So within the Republican Party, there is there is some turmoil. It's not at all clear to me that by by um, abandoning, by rejecting, by you know whatever he's doing to Paul Ryan, that that necessarily hurts him, because he's probably got everything he's going to get on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. So he's got to get some more. He's got to move. It, it appear to move. Well, it just seem maybe this is is it seems like. This is the art of the deal, right? <laughs> Where um, you got to be a deal maker, and so you might even have to be a deal maker with the Paul Ryan's of the world, and bow a little bit to show, you know, that you're going to play yeah. with them. I mean, I you guess might. you yeah, you, know, you might be, but do you need to do that now, or do you need to do that uh, in the middle of November after you win? Yeah, interesting. Interesting, because huh? By 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 doing it now, by not doing it now, he's sending a message to the other seventy plus percent of the voters in the country who aren't his base. You know what? I'm I'm going to be pretty acceptable to you too. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Think about it. He's going. You know, and oh, that's true. I'm not going to bow to that crazy GOP that's been obstructing Obama. Right. I told you. I'm independent. I'm independent of everybody. You vote for me, and I'll make America great again. Hmm. Wow. Do you think this will garner – I mean, is, is this going to draw in the money? All of this is going to take money, and he's going to have to be the fundraiser-in-chief. Is the money going to flow toward Donald with this philosophy where no one really knows where he's going? I – well, like everything, I really don't know the answer to that. Some people have already come out who are mega donors. Sheldon Adelson has come out, and he's got enough money to fund this thing. Um, you're going to have some maybe people, when they realize that he is pivoting a little bit, you might have the Wall Street crowd, the hedge fund guys saying, you know, we could put a little money there. Maybe that'll work. <laughs> uh, or not. Yeah. I mean, I, you don't I, know. He's having, I think the first big fundraiser was either was already happened this weekend or is coming up as his first big fundraiser. So we'll we'll see. It is that's an he, interesting he could thing. Definitely do. He could he definitely has the possibility of doing what Bernie Sanders has done. Now the question is is there that enough money out there for that? But he can appeal to individual donors. Right. And uh, you know, twenty seven hundred bucks a pop or hundred bucks a pop uh, for lots and lots of people can can help him out. And again, like you said earlier, he is he he does get what a certain percentage of people need to hear or want to hear, and he go he's he reads that very well. He can he reads the pulse of a certain percentage of angry 
people. So to be or to appear so independent, you know, maybe there's not there's nothing wrong with it. Does does it what does it do to the GOP? Well, the GOP is fragmented right now. I mean, and it has been forever, some, right? Some, some, well, it has, but it's it's always had this kind of loose. We'll all come together around some person. That's that's not happening now. So uh, the question is: Is that irreparable? Once the the wave of the Trump the Trump triumphant Trump wave passes. Does everybody get together again? Don't know. I mean, and a lot of that's going to be personality driven. Who, who are the people who can who can do that? I mean, Trump really is a unique yeah. uh, entity, and I do think this is his last hurrah in the sense that uh, he might win and then go for a second term. So you have, as he says, let those guys. He Trump said, let those guys, i.e., Paul Ryan, Bill Crystal, a lot of the people you talked about, just let them stew for the next four to eight years while I run the country. <laughs> oh wow! There are there are some precedents for this. I mean, in 1964, Barry Goldwater got annihilated. I think he took six states, mm. um, and the Republican Party coalesced. And uh, you know, not not very long later, well, they they ended up electing Richard Nixon four years later. Uh, but uh, then, but the conservative part of the party came together, and you had Ronald Reagan and by 1980. You know, not that many years hence, uh, you had a, a Republican president and a Republican Congress. Yeah. So there, there's some his, there's some precedent for all of how this could work out. Wow. Joe, let's take a break. Uh, come back. We're speaking with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, about the enigma, I guess, Donald Trump. What does it all mean? It's because the thing – who knows? Because who knows where he's going? It just keeps going and going and going. We'll talk about that. Also talk about, I mean, it is seemingly more of a populist approach, too, as well, in a, in a way um, where, yeah, it's not even so party-driven, is it? It's just more focus on what he hears the people saying, I guess, through the National Enquirer and CNN. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us trying to uncover the political race with our Washington insider. We'll be right back. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show, your guide on the side. Today we're guiding you through the political uh, process and what's going on with Donald Trump. Who better to help us with that than our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Uh, Joe Cannon you can find at FuelFreedom.org. That is the organization he is uh, leading to um, decrease the costs of fuel in, in uh, the United States and improve the markets as well. And because of that, he gets to know a lot of a lot of the uh, the insiders. But Joe's not an insider. He just knows them all. Joe, welcome back to the show. Hey, Matt. Hey, talk to me about uh, he's, uh, Donald, again, like, and it goes back to your perfect example. Is he just a, a you know reactive personality or is he just shrewd, incredibly smart man? But he already is coming out swinging 
at uh, Hillary and Bill for everything that they that's, that they had go down in their past. Is but, this? Well, I, yeah, I was thinking on the break. What, just to make a point here, we just spent the whole first segment of this talking about Donald Trump, and ev- and everyone always talks about Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and yet the fact is Hillary Clinton has an enormous electoral advantage here. Every way you slice the the demographic, you just look at the electoral college. You look at what Trump has to do to do better than Romney or McCain. Uh, and what Clinton has to do just to stay even. Mm. And then you overlay that, the, the high, extremely high negatives, not just, not in general. I know that both Hillary and Trump have, uh, have uh, high negatives. But when you look at his negatives in, among women, among Hispanics, and among blacks, so he's gotten a few blacks actually just to endorse him. But he still has. There's still a 30-second spot out there by him equivocating on whether, you know, a known Klan guy is going to support him or not. So you've got high negatives in three demographic subgroups that that Hillary Clinton needs to win. Right. So, so, you know, yeah, I'll go back to I'll answer your question. Oh, yeah, but that— The gloves are definitely coming off on both sides here, but— I just just so we have a little dose of reality here, it's it's very hard. No one now, most mostly me, I'm not going to say it because we've all been wrong all along here. Uh, so no one's going to say there's zero chance he can become the next president. But wow, it's a very 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 small set of circumstances, and that some things have to go right that uh, would be amazing for that for, for that yeah. to happen. So. Of course, he is the amazing guy, right? So, He's the tornado. He's the Tasmanian devil. That would just—he just spins in and creates chaos, and then who knows who's standing? Well, to go back to your question, there's no question. I mean, Hillary put up a spot uh, like in the day or two right after the Indiana primary, uh, showing every Republican, all the big-time Republicans who were running against Trump just saying horrible things about him and just reminding everybody that his own party has a lot of problems. Now, some of the very people in that ad have already turned and supported Trump. So, you know, I don't know, I don't know how effective that ad, that kind of ad is going to be. But right. there, is, there are plenty of 30-second spots out there with Donald Trump saying really, forget about outrageous, simply in-the-bones, offensive things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that offend, as I say, three very big uh, constituencies, women, uh, Hispanics, and uh, African Americans. It Doesn't she just need to be above the fray and not – like it's almost like she needs to make up a name for Donald. Uh, who was it? Was it Ronald Reagan that said, there you go again? Um, kind of, oh, there you go again. Oh, there you go again, Donald. There you go again, Donald. Um, and just stay above it and not react to it and just smile and say, it's just Donald being Donald. Now, back to the issue. It, it, could she play that? Well, she's, she herself sort of does. Yeah. I mean, even though it's her campaign that put the ad out, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's just one of the support groups. But she herself does exactly what you said. I mean, she said, yeah. 
that's Donald. Or she'll say, you know, if you want to play the women's card, great. I'm good with that. Let's <laughs> talk about women. Let's talk about what I'm doing. So she, she's got some pretty good responses. The, the problem with Hillary is just to, to use another line from those famous debates. She's no Ronald Reagan. Right. That's she's right. No Bernie Sanders. She's no Barack Obama. She, she is going to have a very hard time. Um, uh, well, in and of herself, she'd have a very hard time coalescing and inspiring that base that Barack Obama did. But she's got a lot of help from Donald Trump. That's true. Uh, in coalescing her base. So she's she maybe getting a, sort, of, sort of a lot of free, free campaign help here. The monkey with the machine gun. I mean, come on. It's a perfect metaphor. Talk talk about uh, um, Bernie Sanders. I mean, does he just get out now? I mean, the minute everyone's already teeing her up with Donald and they're already fighting for the general, it seems like is there anything that is left for Sanders to do except, I guess, fight to keep pulling her left? Yeah. You know, I don't know anybody on the inside of the Sanders campaign. I I do know – some interesting people who are close to the Clinton campaign. But uh, I just don't know. I mean, I hear what he says. I heard a long interview with his wife uh, a few days ago. I mean, they, they sound like they're in it all the way to the convention. Hmm. And, um, you know, who, who knows? I mean, this has been the most <laughs> interesting, agonizing, uh, you know, horrible year uh, in politics in my life. So who knows what can happen. But I will just say one thing. I happened to go to the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City uh, when they were they were held here, okay? Yeah. I, I went to the short track speed racing. Uh, there were famous guys in there, famous guys racing. So you go to the, the quarterfinals. You, I'm watching. I'm sitting there right there in the arena watching. And everybody falls down. And a guy who's almost laughed uh, in a kind of goofy-looking green suit <laughs> from Australia. Yeah, they don't even have ice. Get, get through the um, that quarterfinal, okay? Semifinal comes. He just stayed up. Thing happens. Oh, my heavens. Then, he, then he's in the finals. And finally, this goofball, I mean, he's laughing when he gets <laughs> the gold medal. He gets the gold medal. A guy from Australia, where, as you point out, there is no ice. <laughs> he wins the short track speed it's because he was still standing. Last man standing. So, you know, and my kid I was talking to my kids and my wife were watching this and we we're all laughing. Everyone's laughing. It's just kind of funny. It's one of those weird things. And I said, yeah, but here's the deal. He's down on that track and we're not. Right. Like I wonder, that guy just won a gold medal. Yeah, gold medal now, winner. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying, I'm not predicting that Bernie Sanders can do that, but I, I think he's just staying in. He said, why should he get out? He's still getting a lot of money. Uh, he's not spending a lot of money. Uh, he's, he could well win a bunch of the next primaries. I mean, a lot of people didn't even think he was going to win Indiana. He won it fairly solidly. So he keeps piling up those wins. And if Hillary trips in some big way, maybe you have a candidate Sanders. I don't know what he's thinking. Mm. There's no plausible, logical argument that he could be the Democratic candidate. That's right. Just, and does it, so, does it pull her, I guess, more left, I guess? Not anymore. I don't think she's running against Bernie anymore. Yeah. Maybe why she lost Indiana. I, I don't know. She didn't, really didn't even show up much in Indiana. So uh, she, she's already pivoted all the way 
to November. She's she's saying, look, Canada on the other side is Donald, I'm our guy, let's go. And that that's how she's and that's how she should yeah. approach it. There's no reason for not to to do that. So uh, who? Yeah, I don't I don't think the the sort of the leftward centripetal force is working anymore. He's just what he is, and he's got his his uh, supporters, and they're they're you know I'm, I drive around. I'm in, in Utah. Uh, I have I've yet to see a Hillary sticker. I'm not saying they don't exist. I just haven't seen one. I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of Bernie stickers. Yeah, he's got a core, and to to be fair, one of the things that Senator Senator Clinton has to do is woo some of that Bernie Bernie support because in some states it'll make a big difference. Yeah, and it seems like Donald's going to try to do that too. Either he's trying to woo them himself or suppress, and I don't, I don't like that word very much, but but uh, cool down their ardor for her. Mm-hmm. So if he can get them to stay home, it doesn't really matter whether they vote for him. Oh, wow. He just get, gets them to stay home. It's a crazy, crazy game, isn't it? Well, we appreciate you, Joe. Uh, have a great trip to Michigan. Be safe and keep fighting for us at FuelFreedom.org. Again, uh, Fuel Freedom is uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation is trying to lower your costs here in for fuel in the United States and improve the markets. So there's just better competition. Stick with us, folks. We'll come back and continue the discussion on the other side. More surprises, more secrets. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've talked about it a lot on the show. It just depends where you go for your information, right? So some go to talk radio, which tends to be dominated by the right with uh, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity type. Or some go to the left and uh, maybe they watch a little, you know, John Oliver show or... You know, Saturday Night Live, maybe. Not that that's always left, but it is. And so wherever you go to get your information, it's going to kind of set you up for this process. And, I mean, you can be angry. You can be kind of the angry block that is just totally mad about D.C. taking over everything um, and not caring about the regular folk. You can go there. You can go to the more kind of Tea Party conservative. You can go to the Christian conservative Everyone's got an angle, and I guess one of the goals of the show is to make sure that you also understand, you know, technically other things that are going on, other things that are at play. The hard thing about Donald is nobody really knows. We always bring on researchers from um, political and political scientists to help us to figure out, you know, what what really you can also watch out for when it comes down to these elections. But um, in the end, everybody has got to get their information from somewhere. Um, please, though, make sure that you're getting a, a wide swath of data, not just from one news agency, not even just from the National Enquirer, especially if you're president uh, or a political candidate. Um, get it from everywhere. So we're going to offer you that on the show today. We have to go to um, a little bit that we heard about um, on Saturday Night Live. Dana Carvey came back as the church lady and – um, 
who better to enter, inter, you know, to interview if you're the church lady, because everything, if you remember back in the day when Dana Carvey did that, it was always, everything was always because of Satan, the, the dark side, right? Well, again, John Boehner came out and basically pegged um, Ted Cruz as Lucifer. And so here's SNL, Saturday Night Live's, uh, uh, you know, attempt to recreate church lady. Oh, sure. No, John's always coming up with hilarious nicknames for me, like Buster or Son of a Gun. I believe the phrase was Lucifer in the flesh. I I do pray to God often, and and I think everything that happened was part of God's plan. Was it? Was it God's plan for you to get humiliated by an orange mannequin? (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of an odd plan for God to have for you, isn't it? I understand your family's here. Oh, yeah. That's right. Get it here, guys. Hello. So wonderful to be here. My yes. lovely daughter, Ivanka. Mm-hmm. Sort of great to be here as well. Mm-hmm. And who's the third woman down there? That's just another model. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's great energy to have around. I'm sure. Let's have fun. That's good. So, you know, Donald was on there. Ted Cruz, even though, you know, he's out, but you got to keep that alive. Dana Carvey. Was it really God's will to have you lose to an orange mannequin? Anyway, folks, this is your this is your government in action. You're choosing your future leader. Remember that. You're not just being entertained. You've got to choose somebody. And how do you choose them, right? Because if you're going to just go by the party, the party may be falling apart on you on either side, really. You may not love Clinton as your choice. You may be loving... Uh, Bernie Sanders, and you're not going to get Bernie Sanders, apparently. You may be wanting anybody but Trump, but you're not getting that. So how do you make the decision? Well, I don't want Hillary, so I'm going to have to choose Trump. Well, I don't want Trump, so I better choose Hillary. This is where you might want to, no matter what person you choose or who you choose, you might want to make sure you understand what your values are, your principles. What really do you want? And maybe it can't be delivered by a party. Right? Maybe your peace that you're looking for, it's not going to come from a politician. Maybe it's not going to come from your party. So this might be a really good time in your life to simply revamp, to, re- to reevaluate where are you going to give your allegiance? Where are you going to get confidence when you don't necessarily feel like you can turn to Washington to feel the constant, you know, Support, Or if you can no longer stomach listening to the shows you used to love, all the political talk, where are you going to turn? Well, anywhere. You might just want to turn it all off and turn to a book. Maybe start asking yourself, what about you? What do you want to do with your life? That's one of the reasons we do the show is so you have other tools and options to not just have to be numbingly entertained, but maybe informed. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back in just a minute. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number two of the show, giving you the tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. And why not? Hello, day after Mother's Day. Now your mother has that glow... She feels loved. You know. Now you know she's going to come and start getting involved in your marriage. 
According to our guest today, Liz Higgins is a uh, an LMFT, a licensed marriage family therapist, and she has written an article about what your mom has to do with your marriage, right? So once you are married, what role should mom have in the marriage? It, it really is a big deal because I see it all the time where – and it tends to be moms. Moms are, you know – Arguing with their daughters-in-law. It's a it's a tangled web. Anyway, we'll get to that with Liz Higgins in just a few minutes. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on in the headlines around uh, the country. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Hillary Clinton won the Democratic Presidential Caucus in Guam on Saturday with about 60% to Bernie Sanders' 40%. Overall, the Democratic frontrunner leads the Vermont senator by roughly 300 pledged delegates. Neither candidate visited the Western Pacific Island which has just seven delegates up for grabs. Both, however, purchased advertisements that aired in Guam. Next up for Clinton and Sanders is Tuesday's West Virginia primary, where a recent poll shows Sanders has a slight lead. Donald Trump criticized Hillary Clinton at an Oregon rally on Friday, suggesting she had a hand in her husband Bill's affair with then-White House intern Monica Lewinsky and his other alleged affairs. The presumptive Republican presidential nominee employed the attack Friday as a defense of his own record on women, which the Democratic presidential frontrunner has repeatedly slammed. Voters in Austin, Texas, voted against Proposition 1 on Saturday night, an initiative that would allow Uber and Lyft to self-regulate their drivers. Instead, they mandated stricter rules on the companies who threatened to leave the city if the initiative did not pass. Austin Mayor Steve Adler said in a statement, Uber and Lyft are welcome to stay in Austin, and I invite them to the table regardless. Other cities have been trying to find ways to regulate the companies, and Austin may prove to be their first blueprint. Former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin vowed in a Sunday interview with CNN State of the Union to back House Speaker Paul Ryan's primary opponent. The former vice presidential candidate predicted Ryan will be cantered, referring to then-House Majority Leader Eric Cantor's shocking 2014 primary upset at the hands of Dave Bratt. Zach Blair is having a rough day. After missing a birdie in the Wells Fargo Championship on Friday, the 25-year-old golfer hit himself in the head with his putter out of frustration. Then he used the same putter to tap the putt in. Only when smacking the putter against his head, Blair slightly bent it and thus used a non-conforming club that had been damaged, quote, other than in the normal course of play, to knock the ball in, which disqualified him according to the PGA's rules. That's it this morning, Matt. Back to you. Thank you, Caitlin. Well done, my friend. That, um, (laughs) we're just having a little off-air discussion, which we won't bring on air, but it's... It will happen that at some point we will talk about this. Everyone's mad because they're getting rid of our ice machine. Everyone loves the Pebble ice machine. But I'm pretty sure they're going to get another better Pebble ice machine. You never know. No one really brought asked the question about Pebble ice. They just said they were going to replace it with an ice machine. Right. But I know people are really particular about the Pebble ice. I know. But it's because you become, you know, you're converted. Pebble ice. My wife loves ice. She eats it all day long. Hmm. It's also a sign that she's iron deficient. That too. <laughs> but uh, we don't want to go there. Hey, did you uh, did you hear um, last hour, uh, Joe Cannon brought up that a metaphor for Donald Trump, that he's kind of like a monkey with a machine gun. Okay. And yeah. they're cute as can be. Right. So cute. Automatic weapons and primates. Right. But in, in uh, monkeys are on the loose in Denmark. Again. Yeah. Four Barbary macaws, is that what they call them? Macaws? Macaws. Macaws. Yeah. Uh, Escaped from the zoo in Denmark earlier this month. Zoo workers tried to wrangle the animals 
by setting out mushed bananas mm. containing sleeping pills. By the way, do you remember the exact same way we got Ben? Yeah. That was fantastic. Remember when he was... You have to trick him. Mm-hmm. If you remember uh, from a, ch- a show from my childhood, yeah. the A-Team. A- oh, yeah. Every time they had to fly, B.A. Baracus, who's Mr. T, B.A. Baracus needed to be drugged because he hated flying. So it was always some elaborate trick to get him to take the sleeping pill. <laughs> and then he'd like you know look at someone, I'll get you, as he passes out. And then yeah. they got to drag him into an airplane so they can fly somewhere. Oh, that poor guy. It was a great show. It was a great little thing they did all the yeah. time. Yeah, and also back in the day when you could drug people without getting in trouble. Right, yeah, on TV. Now you get in trouble for it. Sorry, Ben. Um, it is an effective way to uh, control an animal, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so remember we put mushed bananas out containing sleeping pills. That's how they're catching these. By the way, one of the apes ate the whole thing, but an hour later it was still running around. So oh. you got to dose them right. Apparently. Now imagine all these apes with machine guns. See, that's not... That's what they call the GOP. Yeah. Except the problem is... Yeah. Guns also aren't popular anymore either. Well, the GOP they are. Yeah. Certain wings of the GOP. So they're chasing, apparently, in Denmark, gorillas and monkeys all over the place. What do you do? Well, you can't try to do the tranquilizer darts... Because no. these are actually quite – they're kind of small monkeys. Plus they're you know they're hard to hit. They're, they're moving. moving. And apparently – Shucking and jiving. Even if you drug them, yeah. they, they just keep moving and keep running. <laughs> and this is actually the second or th- – <laughs> He's just <laughs> shooting darts everywhere. The second or third time these monkeys have, uh, have escaped. Mm. They've escaped from the, uh, the pens they just fixed. And- it, it seems like an easy fix. What's that? You um, – because you don't captivate because that kills. Right. Is that what it's called? Uh, you put little ankle, little tiny ankle bracelets on them. Is that what it is? Then you can track them. <laughs> then you track them. I mean, really, if I can find – they have those things now that you can just put in your wallet and it'll. you can find your wallet. Yeah. So just hook one to the monkey. Okay. How makes, hard is that? Makes sense. They won't mess with it. No. No. They won't be able to get it off. Well, we'll try. Or you inject a little uh, – a, a tag. A tag underneath their skin. Yeah. Like you do your dog. Right. I don't have a dog. So you can find Fido. I don't have a dog. But some do. There's options. Hey, uh, just so you know, everybody, Hillary – or no, Sarah Palin is on the case. Sarah Palin um, is going to back Paul Ryan's primary challenger. Yep. I thought she was gone. Nope. She's back. Still around. She's mad because Paul Ryan um, isn't just supporting the Donster. That's right. I think what we're seeing is Sarah Palin wants to have a position in the Donald Trump. What what position do you think she should have? Well, I mean, I I think I, I gave you the there was a list that they had on. What was it? I forget the website, but they had a list, and it was kind of a Celebrity Apprentice mm-hmm. sort of take those characters and put them into the cabinet. Yeah. So like Hulk Hogan had a spot, and <laughs> and Geraldo was going right. to do something. Oh, he'd be fantastic. Um, she could be what. Secretary of the Interior or something? Yeah. I don't know. She's always spending all that time out hunting. Maybe ambassador to Russia. Then she, she could, could do that. Stay at home. She has experience. And she's right there. <laughs> I don't know what she does. But she says uh, she's going it's – pretty, it's pretty likely that Paul Ryan is soon to be cantored. Yeah. As or, in Eric Cantor who was in a high position in the Republican House. He was like Lost the number seat. two guy in the House I think. Yeah. yeah. Lost his seat to a tea party or 
Hmm. At a boy or at a girl, threatening, just threatening everybody. This is the way we unify. Yes. The party. Right. <laughs> Crazy. Did you hear about the teacher that uh, is now assigning um, fun homework to her students? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. What's that? Jenny Tom, a teacher from Reading, England, uh, is now going to um, – she teaches 10 and 11-year-olds. She's only assigning fun homework. What qualifies as fun homework? Let me give you, let me give you some of the homework she's been assigning. She's assigning things like you need to go and um, uh, go on a bike or a scooter ride for homework. Oh, okay. Let's see. That gets them active. Yeah. Go read a book. Watch your favorite TV program. Hmm. Smile. Eat ice cream. What grade are they in? They're 10, 11-year-olds. So what's that? Fifth grade? How is that helping? I was in fifth grade. I was doing reports on France. Yeah, right. I know, but look. Now look at you. I know about France. Not really. Not really. But it's there. But spend time with people you love. Hmm. How is this? Isn't she, really homework. This no, is go is. live your life. No, she thinks that what we're doing is we're over programming, and so if we have to make if we have to program our kids let, by giving them homework to get them to do stuff, let's get them to do things that actually matter. What about math? No, Ma- math's important. Fifth grade no. math is important. I think you got to the point where it's kind of out of. No, you don't want math. You know why you don't want math? Why is that? Did you not? Do you not listen to the news? You didn't hear about the guy, the passenger, doing math on an airplane? I have that right here. Do I? That's have why that you here? don't do math. Yeah, yeah. This professor, right? Yeah, he's just doing math. An Ivy League professor aboard an American Airlines flight was questioned after a passenger mistook a math equation for Arabic and possible <laughs> Islamic code for a terrorist attack. Um, is it Guido? G U I D O. Sure. Guido Minzo, an economics professor at University of Pennsylvania. Guido Menzio. We need go. Donald or we need Don Shaline in here. That's right. He could do it for us. He could help us out. Well, he was working on a differential math equation as the Syracuse bound plane was preparing to take off from Philadelphia. The forty one minute flight was delayed by two hours. He sat there working, doing his Just thing. scribbling. But it was delayed two hours as the olive skinned, curly haired, uh, dark native Italian was questioned. The blonde-haired woman wearing flip-flops and appeared to be in her 30s had passed a note to a flight attendant. American Airlines flight returned to the gate in Philadelphia was met by what he described as an FBI-looking man in in black, so like a black suit or something. Men in black. He uh, learned the woman thought he was a terrorist. After realizing he was only doing math, the flight took off uh, minus the complaining passenger. The woman boarded a later flight for Syracuse. So they took her off the plane. Yeah. Probably because he don't want to cause any sort of conflict. Like, well, you thought I was a terrorist. So he's a member of Penn's, uh, University of Penn's faculty since 2005, got his Ph.D. from Northwestern. Last year he was awarded the prestigious – now you've heard of this yeah. – the Carlo Alberto Medal uh, as the best Italian uh, economist under 40. Wow. But because he, he had, mm, I guess – Either horrible <sighs> handwriting – Yeah. Which, I mean, most people do anymore, right. right? But for her not to recognize that as a form of math, it's, I think it just shows you how the educational system's failing. And as they put it, his olive complexion <laughs> yeah. led to her jumping to conclusions. The, the Italian you, you got to be careful about that stuff. Complexion, right? Yeah. So I think it was two hours late, right? The plane yeah. took off two hours sat, later? Sat for two hours. But once they had figured out he was doing math, they just took her off the plane. And I can't find it way. now, but somewhere I saw the like some of his handwriting. And I mean, it looks – it's different. It's math. It's a different language. It's not even math. 
It's calculus. Right. Let's get real. <laughs> That's not math? That's not math. Okay. I agree. It's just crazy. <laughs> I, I hit algebra and I go, this isn't math. Right. This is nonsense. Who needs this stuff? See, this is why you need STEM. You got to get people up on their math and sciences so that yeah. they don't start throwing everybody under the Reg- terrorist label. Recognize the Italian as a terrorist. Exactly. Now even Italians are being pegged. It's a tough world out there. <sighs> what do you do? What do you do? It's time to call mom. Did you have a good uh, Mother's Day? I did. Did you take care of mom? Yeah. My, my wife really isn't uh, into Mother's Day. Why? If you look in the history of it, it's really just a marketing thing so that companies can make budget in May. <laughs> I mean, it really is. There's, you, there's, budget. No, there's nothing in May. Yeah, I believe that. And so there's they, a holiday was created. Now, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great reason to celebrate your mom. Right. Totally. But the purpose of it is purely commercial. And you, I mean, you can celebrate your mom any day. Right. And you can make it whatever you want it to right. be. You don't have to be commercial. Right. And my wife looks at it as it's her day for her son to honor her. So my son made some. Oh, that's cute. Uh, uh, what a, uh, a bracelet and a card and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Not necessarily for me because my job is to honor my mother. Right. Not my wife. We have an anniversary where I can yeah help her out with that and a birthday and, and that's stuff like that. yeah. You're I mean unless she has to mother you, which nobody <laughs> likes to do. She sees it as you know part of the relationship. But it's fun too to help your son help go love on mom. Right. And that's really my job is to help him yeah. understand what the day's about. I celebrated my birthday because that was that was Sunday, but my mom was sick, so I, that was just a phone call. Yeah. Hey, hope you get better. How we'll, you doing? We'll see you tomorrow. So we're gonna go see her tonight. I got to talk to my son that I haven't seen for three months because he's on an LDS mission. Hmm. That was fun. He's alive. He's well. He's loving it. It was kind of too early to be calling him, like you know. You want to wait six months to call. So have you done anything? No. Okay, good. Okay. No. <laughs> Loving it, though. Okay, keep it up. We're proud of you. About a five-minute call. Hmm. No, it was a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> we just, we'd hang out and we just talked. But uh, today, mothers, we're going to be talking about how sometimes, and maybe this is why moms get involved, overly involved in the marriage. So if your mother-in-law that you were supposed to go pay tribute to starts impacting the marriage negatively – Sometimes that's why Mother's Day becomes tense. Just saying. You might want to check with your wife on that one. I'm not saying that it's happened. It's just a lot of my clients struggle with their in-laws. Hmm. In a minute, folks, uh, coming up, Liz Higgins will be joining us, and she will be walking us through uh, an article that she wrote about moms and uh, the role that a mom should play in your marriage. Right? What what should mothers be doing? Not dividing and conquering. What should they be doing to support the marriage? Stick with us. We're going to go down that little road for a bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you need to improve your relationship with your mother-in-law? Or just your mother, even, for heaven's sakes. Hey, um, we're talking moms today and the impact they have on your marriage. 
who better to uh, talk us through that than somebody that's written an article in the Huffington Post, What Your Mom Has to Do with Your Marriage. You know, we just celebrated moms and mother-in-laws, um, but they, they can they can make them or break them as well. They can make marriage a lot, a lot harder than maybe it needs to be. And uh, simultaneously, if you're a mom out there, you could make it pretty cool by, by strengthening your relationship with your daughter. Uh, today on the show, we are going to be talking with Liz Higgins. And Liz is a marriage and family therapist uh, in Dallas, Texas, and focuses a lot on helping millennial couples uh, ages 13, 18 to, sorry, 18 to 34. And today she's going to be joining us actually right now to talk about about the mother-in-law effect and um, why so many people might have issues with their mother-in-law. Liz Higgins, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be a part of the show today. You bet. This is a this is an interesting topic. I see it a lot in my own practice with um, with my couples that they they just it's almost it, I don't see it so much with father in laws as much as mother in laws. What is it mm-hmm. about a mother in law? Well, it's so true, right? And I, I'm comforted hearing you say that you see this a lot too, because even working with younger couples, I mean, yeah, it's definitely something that it's a prevalent um, factor for many people. And you know, I think. I was listening to one of those commercials running earlier about the the Mother's Day movie that came out, and it's so true. There's so many different types of parental relationships these days. Some people have two mothers. Some people have two fathers, blended families, multiple mother-in-laws. I mean, it goes on and on. Um, But I still think one thing rings true, that mother relationship with a child, even an adult child, is really unique compared to other relationships. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's no doubt that that role is a significant part of a lot of people's lives. And it, and it seems like it's it's a weird competition almost for the son or the husband. And it's it's um, yeah. so a lot of times when I hear of mother-in-law issues, I usually I don't look to the the women. I look to the man <laughs> like, OK, mm-hmm. so there might not be clear messaging going on from the husband or the son. Yes, I completely agree with you. And, you know, honestly, it comes down to the couple's communication about these relationships. I mean, I think when it comes down to it, um, you know, I do a lot of premarital counseling, and I see pretty clearly that something that's not really discussed well, unless people go into premarital preparation of some sorts, is uh, that whole idea of, okay, what are our relationships with our parents going to look like after we get married? Um because it's got to change. And, you know, many people are really, really close to their moms, um, you know, fathers too, but we're specifically talking about moms today. And uh, we have to kind of understand that relationships are fluid. You know, they change over time. It's not just black and white. So a lot of couples don't explore their own expectations about how the relationship with mom maybe needs to change or or anything. So it's a lot of unknown. Mm. What are some of the big uh, problems that you do see? What are the what you know and the errors that maybe are pretty obvious? What what do you see out there? Yeah, that's a good question. And some are obvious, and some are not so obvious. I, I call some of them just growing pains of marriage, basically. But I think some of the most significant issues I see are basically about lack of boundaries. Um, a lot of times, you know, couples will have that controlling and intrusive mother-in-law or mother. Um, and people on, on either end, they don't know where the boundaries lie. You know, what's okay? What's not okay? Okay, and how, how do we deal with this if it's not okay that mom is kind of trying to run our show and tell us how to do things and live our life? Um, 
a lot of things I'll hear sometimes too, just regarding moms and mother-in-laws. Um, it's kind of a passive-aggressive tone about different things. You know, well, that's not how we did it in our family, or that's not how we want to see you doing things. Um, and that can be really hard for young couples, old couples, really any kind of couple. Mm. Um, yeah, and you know, the flip side of that too is I think there's a lot of people out there that want to please their parents. So, um, you know, the adult kids become people pleasers to their mom and kind of put the mom's wishes before their own spouses. And that can cause a lot of different issues for the couple. Oh, yeah. Because you do, you, um, I, oh, I, I just brought up 20 stories. In, in right. my, <laughs> in my mind, I sit there and I, and I wonder if this is a millennial problem. Like, is, is this new to this kind of uh, millennial generation where, where the parents, Maybe where we overcoddled the the kids anyway, and so yeah. it's harder for the parent. They've always <laughs> been doing everything for the child, so why not lead their marriage for them? Oh gosh, right. And I have a million thoughts on that too. I mean, no doubt that this is the experience for a lot of millennials today. That that con- that idea of being coddled, but. I think millennials also are really generalized a lot in in that sense of the word. So, you know, I've worked with so many millennial aged people that have not had that experience. You know, they haven't been coddled. They, they want to have, you know, their, their own life, build their own future and and really have been on their own for a long time. So that's not always the case. Um, You know, the term helicopter parent has been around for a while. So I wouldn't say it's completely unique to this generation, but it's, definitely a factor for many. I mean, obviously, the studies show millennials stick around the house um, a lot longer than maybe past generations. But I think with all that, we have to consider the economic factors of this generation and what what we've faced. You know, many people have had to deal with those repercussions of the economy over the past 10 years. And that's really, really changed the ability for people to go out and make their own life. Um, So yeah, I think it could be a factor. But if it is, it needs to be addressed. Yeah, right. And um, talk about the uh, kind of the gender side of this. Is it mm-hmm. why why aren't dads kind of more perceived as overly intrusive? And what do you think? Why and and, and why are moms more at odds with the daughter-in-law? If sure. that's I guess if that's the case. Well, yeah, and I don't know if that's maybe the only kind of case I've seen, because again, it's kind of unique to each couple, each family dynamic. I mean, all these issues, again, are kind of fluid, just depending on the people and and their situation. But, you know, what I've seen in my experience with couples is while there are differences on paper regarding some of the issues that occur more with males or females, all of the issues typically come down to the growing pain stuff, boundary issues, kind of like I mentioned before, um, you know, when we're talking about men, kind of like you said earlier, a lot of it kind of has to do with maybe the female partner's closeness to their mom, which could seem kind of intimidating or like a threat to the couple relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, where do I fit into this whole thing? You know, when you're running off and talking to your mom about all our stuff, where does that put me? So that can kind of be like a competition type thing. And then for women, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking of a male-female dynamic here, which we know there's so many different dynamics out there. But for women that have really close relationships, um, or I'm sorry, for, for women whose partners have really close relationships with their mom, you know, they want to make sure they're number one to their partner and that they aren't being judged or compared to the mother-in-law. Mm. 
So especially, you know, in families with strong cultural influences, there will be that um, kind of thought process of comparing myself to mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that's an interesting point too, just culturally. I mean, some cultures hang on to family and some cultures kind of move on from family, right? Absolutely, yes. And, you know, for the strong cultural families, there's tons of things that go into that that, you know, a person could compare themselves endlessly, cooking, how they keep the house, how they, um, you know, do the laundry or just different things. And that's that's hard in a world today where most relationships, both partners are working full-time jobs. Mm. And, and <laughs> the sad thing about this is if you were never near your family, this would be fine. You could just sort it out. Right. But it's every holiday. It's every – and then if it is about like cooking, it's every holiday and they're like, oh, you put marshmallows oh, yeah. on the yams? Yeah, we don't do that. We don't do that. And then right. it's, and then there's this in, this sense of inferiority and a competition going on just about mm-hmm. a meal. Yeah. Oh, right. Boy. And that's why I tell couples, you know, as long as you two begin having really open communication about your own, you know, roles, your own expectations for the two of you, then you can step into those situations and you can say things like, okay, I know my mom's probably going to pick on you about this or this. We need to not let that get to us. It's all about having those boundaries. Even if they aren't spoken to mother-in-laws or mom, um, when the couple is on the same page about things, you can get through anything. Yeah. In fact, let's do this. Let's take a break, Liz. I want to come back and start getting into those solutions. So how do we talk about these things? And then how do we set boundaries? I love the idea that as long as we're together on this the same page of boundaries. I don't always have to convey them to my mom. We just or your in laws. You just have to, you have to talk. You just have to be on the same right. page with your, with your spouse. We'll take a break. Continue this discussion, folks. Doing what we can to help you uh, improve your relationship and and allow your relationship to evolve with your mother in law. This is the Matt Townsend Show. More with Liz Higgins when we come back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you've needed a little boost in the uh, in-law relationship area to improve your relationship with your your in-laws or even just your mother-in-law, now's the moment, folks. We've got Liz Higgins joining us. She is um, a, uh, a licensed marriage and family therapist associate, and she is also... Um, the author of a Huffington Post article that we've been discussing, What Your Mom Has to Do with Your Marriage. And she's been talking about the fact that, you know, it can be good. It could be parents can be helpful. They also can create some problems. And um, we need some boundaries. We've got to watch out for the passive aggressive tones. We've got to watch out for the reality that, you know, times change the last 10 years economic uh, strength of the country has had collapsed and people needed more support. And that might have actually allowed fewer boundaries and all of a sudden you're living in the basement with your in-laws. Wah! Crazy time. But it's not hopeless. So uh, we're going to invite Liz Higgins back to talk to us now about uh, open communication and some of the things we can be doing and to to mitigate and to manage these relationships. Liz, thanks again for being with us. 
Sure. Thanks so much. And you have a wonderful um, website that I was just uh, visiting and looking at. Um, yeah. And talk to me, Liz. So, by the way, the name of the website is Liz Higgins mft.com liz higgins mft.com but what are some of the solutions what can we do as uh just you know husband wife and usually it seems like it's kind of in the earlier stages of the marriage where we're forging and 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 i guess uh remolding this relationship with our in-laws mm-hmm. what are the what are some of the rules and tools Definitely. Yeah. And hopefully it's happening at the beginning, but if it happens later on in life, that's fine too. You know, I love talking about the solution because there always is a solution. Um, I think it's hard to say what should happen in every single situation, but you know, one thing is certain to me, um, and this is based on research and what makes marriages last is marriage has to come first. So above your parents, above your siblings, above your children, And this is a really hard pill for people to swallow sometimes, especially with that kid factor. But it's true. Um, You know, the most successful relationships are the ones where each person feels respected, valued by their partner, and just the priority of their partner's world. So this doesn't mean that, you know, the relationship with mom becomes surface level or you can't be close anymore, but the relationship needs to become different. You know, I write in my blog, it's learning to love them in a different way. Hmm. So um, before you ever begin to address boundaries, it's kind of walking into this whole scenario with that kind of mindset. You know, we're doing this because we've come together. Um, We've got married. We love each other. And that's why this is important, because setting boundaries is hard to do. And a lot of emotion kind of goes with it. You know, it can feel harsh when you say, no, mom, I'm not going to do this. Or, you know, no, we're not coming over for this event. We're going to do our own thing this year. Um, it can feel kind of rude, but it's you got to do what you got to do to protect your relationship first. Yeah, and and I guess I mean that that idea, that mentality of uh, marriage first. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's it seems like a no brainer, but it, it'll impact the kids' lives if it's not. It'll impact everything, and it's jobs will take advantage of it. You know, Netflix is going right. to want your attention more than your marriage, uh, and as well as your in laws. Mm-hmm. So. Again, I guess talking about that, making that the goal, right? The rule, um, the right. standard is is important. What? Uh, how do we? What do we do if our if we're talking with our partner, and they seem to be easily offended or needing to defend their their mother in a way that that almost is like it's already turning it into a competition? Right. Sure. That's a good question, you know, because anytime somebody is becoming defensive towards you, it's because they are protecting something. So they're feeling some kind of threat, whether it's emotionally or otherwise. And it's important to kind of stop yourself and and say, okay, what's going on with this person? What's going on with my partner that they're kind of putting the guns up to me because obviously I'm, I'm triggering something or something's getting stirred up. So it's kind of, you know, turning to that turning towards that kind of situation with openness and, and a goal to understand what's going on. What, what is so important? I mean, maybe it's a tradition, maybe it's something that they've, I don't know, some close thing they've got with their parent that they don't want to let go of. And perhaps it's something you can discuss, Hmm. but it's kind of learning to understand your partner's needs, what's going on with them. Because I've worked with a lot of couples where it's really easy for one to kind of cut the tie with their parents and they can just move right along and kind of start their life with their partner. But the other partner really, really has a hard time doing that because maybe they grew up in a really close knit 
our like enmeshed family system and it's just really hard. And so the other person just doesn't understand why can't you just cut off with these people? You know, Um, it's, it's not always going to be that easy. So it's getting curious about your partner, especially when they get defensive, what's going on with them. And and it's not always, it's not always like if my spouse has a great relationship with their, with their mother, it doesn't mean I have to hate that. I mean, that's right. probably healthy and good to a point. I, I might want to respect it um, and maybe then just adjust it now with the new reality that I'm your spouse. Exactly. And that can be really hard for a partner to kind of experience is, you know, a spouse that is really close to their parents when maybe they were not. So with that, I've seen a lot of people even get jealous about it. It's like, wow, you know, I wish I had that. But, of course, you wouldn't say that. So it comes out very defensive or passive-aggressive or, you know, you start to get angry at your partner. And um, I don't know. I tell people when, when those negative things start coming out, what are you not talking about? What are you not telling your partner that you need to start exploring with them out loud so that they can understand your world? Hmm. That's great. That, what a great question. And I mean, for yeah. all of us, what what is it you are afraid to say or you don't say yet it keeps coming back and biting you? One of the things you also mentioned in your article is that this doesn't – I mean, this relationship evolves, right? It takes right. time. And what's weird is mm-hmm. you can set all the boundaries you want and then all of a sudden you have a grandchild and a lot of mm-hmm. new boundaries need to be set and new new systems need to be you know created. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm glad you bring that up because you're right. And that's a whole other segment, you know, to talk about for hours and hours because you're right. You could create these boundaries and have a really good kind of um, separation of your marriage to your parents. But you're right. You know, when you bring children into the page, uh, into the picture, then, you know, here come the animals back in to help (laughs) because it, it just changes the whole dynamic. So, yeah, it's a very fluid thing. And you have to just kind of be flexible as you walk through life with your partner. Um, in dealing with that. I know we talk a lot about the boundary thing. um, And that's, you know, when I talk about boundaries with couples, it's basically learning to identify what is okay and what is not okay for you. And then understanding what is okay and what's not okay for your partner. Because that's, it's a two-way street here, right? And that's part of the communication that needs to go on. I, I see sometimes with my clients that one partner doesn't see the threat of it and one partner sees the threat and mm-hmm. or, or sees it as a threat. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess this is where you you really need to be able to voice your own concern, but also get out of yourself and truly understand the deeper f- problem going on with what your partner's thinking. Like, what is it really that's creating this fear in them? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's something maybe a lot of people don't realize um, marriage is about. So, you know, we have a lot more people kind of walking into marriage and calling it quits way, way early. Um, That's a big part of what I see is that that struggle to kind of recognize, oh, wow, so I can state my needs and set my boundaries, but I've also got to respect and protect yours. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way to build the trust, right? If I... If I can understand your needs, you can understand mine, and we could come to some agreement, and then I live up to it. It's not enough. I see all the time where one, like the wife will tell her husband, really, I need you to be loyal to me when we're with your family too. Be loyal to me, my ideas. Listen to me. Validate those. And he's like, for yeah. sure, I will totally be there. And then 
he still disappears and and doesn't validate her. And right, you got to deliver. Exactly, you do, and you know, and it's not about putting your partner in in the path of the flames for you. It's not making them have difficult conversations for you, but it's learning to do it together, learning what that looks like, what that means for each of you. Um, you know, you got to be fair. It's it's not about okay, you deal with your parents, and I'll deal with my parents, and that. You know, right. it's it's got to be it's got to be fair. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's it really is. It's great. It's great advice, and it's it's something we just we learn as we go. It's kind of part of the maturing process. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it comes down to the realization that you cannot control somebody else's behavior. So even if you request changes, or you know, you say no, mom, I'm not going to do this, or no, mom, we're not doing that this time. Um, you have to remember you can't control how they're going to respond to your boundary, and so. Just remembering that the only person you do have control over is yourself. So sometimes a boundary means removing yourself from a situation that's not conducive to your marriage or healthy for you. And just having a way to check in with your partner after that happens so so that you can, like I said, walk into those uncomfortable situations with your in-laws and, and just know that you're on the same page about how you're going to deal with it. Yeah. Great stuff. Great advice. Liz Higgins, uh, appreciate it. And keep writing. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. You bet. We'll talk to you again. Again, Liz Higgins, uh, MFT.com is the website. Um, Liz Higgins, MFT.com. Wonderful uh, insight on uh, how to improve your relationship with your in-laws. We'll take a break. Come back and uh, wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, um, you know, mother-in-laws, blah, 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 blah. You know how they are. No, because they can be fantastic. My mother-in-law was the greatest mother-in-law ever. Gave me great advice. Never got too involved, but did when she needed to and was incredible. And interestingly... Um, if you are a mother-in-law, that's it's a hard road to navigate. I get that. But you kind of need to know how you want to influence your kids. And as a father-in-law, it's hard because do you – what do you do? Do we ever just sit down and think, okay, how am I going to handle this? How do I want to be able to talk with my son-in-law? How do I want to be able to influence him? I would suggest to all parents that you you got to be intentional in what you're doing. You can't just wing it in these roles. Even as a father or as a son or a child, we need to get more intentional in what we're trying to achieve in our families because what might seem to be natural might not necessarily work and be good for everybody. Um, and I bring that up because – Yesterday, Mother's Day, we spent a, a little bit of time at the cemetery looking at the headstone that was just newly put in place of my mother-in-law, who has had passed away a few months ago of Alzheimer's. And 
an incredible woman who I remember I had been dating my wife since I was 17 years old. So I had known my mother-in-law for years, 30 plus years. Incredible woman. And as we sit there and we're standing and looking at her tombstone, um, I just thought, wow, she's gone. She's not with us anymore. And and I then you appreciate what you do have or what you did have. And so everybody is – in fact, we were even having discussions about maybe we need to buy – You know, maybe it's time that we go purchase where we're going to be laid to rest. And then we had nieces and nephews that were like, oh, I don't want to die. And then the discussion, well, everyone's going to die. So then how do you want to be remembered? But maybe when it comes down to your family relationships, it's about time that you decide. How do you want to influence your children? How do you want to influence your son-in-law, your daughter-in-law? What what kind of impact do you want to have on them? Well, I just – I don't want to get too involved, but, you know, I I can't really influence them, but I can still control my child. What do you want to teach your kids about marriage and, you know, pushing them, you know, when they come running to you, should you just push them right back into the fray? Maybe. It's it's hard. I get it. But there's a thing I learned um, many, many moons ago that I, I use anytime I have to deal with conflict. I call it driving within the point of prevention. And it was a lesson I learned in driving school. Because I, you know, I was known to speed. And while I was in driving school, uh, the teacher taught that you are only as safe as your ability to prevent an accident. Right? You're only as safe as your ability to prevent the accident. And the minute you no longer can prevent an accident from happening, then you are beyond the point of prevention. And this driving instructor was teaching us, always drive within your ability to prevent the accident. Now, the crazy thing about that is there are people that don't drive within the point of prevention. And – but there are some rules to that. For example, you don't – you know, you got to kind of anticipate what's happening. You've got to plan a little bit ahead. You got to keep your distance a little bit. You don't have to like stay back 500 car lengths. But three or four, five, six, ten wouldn't hurt you. You also need to uh, make sure to prevent things that you look both ways, that you understand not just your frame of reference as a mother-in-law or a father-in-law, but understand what they're going through, their frame of reference. When you pull up to an intersection, if you want to prevent an accident, make sure you look both ways, right? Make sure you're understanding not just one side of the story, but both sides. Just because you've always made the roast this way doesn't mean we have to even have a roast or or that it has to be made this way. Possibly we could have turkey. Ah, turkey's for Thanksgiving. Ham is for Christmas. Ah, oh, brother. Let's try prime rib. Look both ways. Another rule about the point of prevention is we have to be heading in the same direction, right? So get on the same page with people. If you really aren't going to be able to make it somewhere, don't keep leading them on that you'll be – yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there later. We'll probably be there later. If you're not going to be there, don't go. But tell them. Get on the same page. Be real. 
another rule is um, you have to drive within the conditions you're given. Right, you're not allowed to go, uh, you know, 70 miles an hour on a 70 mile an hour posted speed limit freeway. If it's snowing and 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 sleeting and hailing, you might want to slow down. So just because it's posted and we always go 70, doesn't mean you should. If you want to prevent an accident, you might need to adjust. Right, you might need to slow down. You might need to anticipate. You might need to understand what's going on. And sometimes you just need to not drive. It's it's a hard thing. And a lot of times I've noticed just as, a, as a, an adult with children now that are married, sometimes you just have to be the bigger person. You don't have to be offended. You just have to figure out how to be the grown-up. Somebody the grown up, and um, I'm going to bet that needs to be you. Oh, see, it's always me. Right, I know, I know, but it might need to be you if you want to keep people close to you. If you don't want to keep people close to you, just go off, make it your way, do whatever you need to do all the time, and then see what happens. And amazingly, when you become a crazy, frantic driver. Everyone kind of pulls away from you. And that's what happens in our families. We can't afford it, folks. We got we to gotta love one another, right? We'll take a break. More after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here in the studio giving you the tools, information you need to live a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. Actually, for some, it's the bottom of the morning. It's just the afternoon. They're about to go into lunch. Mm, 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 mm. Hey, um, we've got a great show coming up for you about, you know, accountability in your relationships. You know, sticking to your promises. Joseph Grenny. I love switching up on promises. Yeah, why? Just to keep it, I don't know. If, if you do the same thing every time, if people can just count on you every time, there's no real excitement in that relationship. No, there's trust. So you can kind of keep it spiced a little bit. The spice of life, if you just sort of fall through every once in a while. Do you think that's what the Don is doing? Maybe. Just kind of, kind of. well, I, I think what he's doing is he's found that he can go out there, be outrageous, and people like it. Do they? And it motivates people. Well, well it the definitely people, gets on television. It gets on TV. He's able to spread, you know, whatever his message he wants it to be at the at that time. He can see, he can say what he needs to say. Mm-hmm. Gets a lot of coverage. He no no or what? There's no such thing as bad media. Well, yeah, for him because he's been able to say whatever he wants, and he just keeps trucking on. Isn't it interesting? Because it's a battle between two paradigms. There's no such thing as bad media. That's the Donald's view, and then Hillary's view is the right wing media conspiracy. Yes. So they're obviously bad media. <laughs> and they will duel together forever for the next six months. How long do you think that can, his idea of media can continue? Or will he continue with that? 
Yeah. Where he can just be outrageous. He uh-huh. can say what he wants. Yeah. If it hurts him, if there's visible signs that it hurts him, will he continue? Well, but I mean, I don't know because everybody else, like, do you remember when he said the had made the abortion comment? Yes. And everyone was like, ah, oh, there he goes. Okay, there it was. But mortal. Hit. No, if you watch that, but the, the thing was, they kind of walk it back. And if you watch how that interview went down, right, it's ambiguous enough because it was a. A hypothetical yeah. question. And he was being pushed. And he was being pushed. So he goes, well, I answered a hypothetical. That's not how I would actually do something. No, right. We're just following the logic but of what he was talking about. any other human would have died right He was there. able to talk his way out of it. That's the, that's, I guess that's the point. Is there a situation that he won't be able to talk his way out of? No. Because he it's called, like, it's, have you ever played with Mercury? No, not really. It's, it's unhealthy. <laughs> I'm just going to say. So, you know, every once in a while you'll break a little thermometer and you mm. there's a little ball of metallic mercury and you just play with it right and it anywhere you push it goes and if you punch it right in the middle it just breaks apart and then you can get all the pieces back so if you push he's mercurial you push donald you'll run him into a wall and then you're like oh we got him mm. but if you keep pushing he'll, he'll break into three pieces run around you and keep and going. then absorb you and then eventually you'll die of mercury poisoning hmm. because you've played with him too long that's the donster interesting he's like Metallic mercury. You can push him up a wall, I guess. But the longer you're playing with him, the more poisoned you are getting. And you don't even know it. Put that in your meme. That would be a really long meme. I just figured it out. He's mercury. But so I don't – I really don't know what you could catch him on. Yeah. Because now what they'll say – you'll catch him on something. There's stuff. But then they'll say, well, no, that was the media me. Yeah, that wasn't the me me. Some have said that uh, now that it's he'll be more exposed that it's one on one, right? In yeah. in these situations where he's talking, there's no one else where he right. can kind of change the subject and go talk about Chris Christie or something. But he'll still change the subject. Yeah, what he'll do yeah. is he'll throw it back to Hillary. Oh, you're saying I'm a misogynist? Yeah. Have you heard of Bill Clinton? Well, there's that. Boink. On Gone. that on that Mercury. one. Yeah. That that might make Hillary Clinton not bring up. You know, the whole misogynist thing anymore just because of that. So that takes away one of her yeah. weapons that she was trying to uh, use. But there's, um, there's no more weapons. Then what if she comes back with all the interviews he's done where he's talked about all the, you know, his views of women uh-huh. that he's put out there for 20 you, years? Hold it. Do you, do you remember Hillary's interviews where she said that she was taking fire in Bosnia? Yeah. Oh, she was a liar. I mean, it will never end. Uh-huh. And it won't. I honestly don't think because it doesn't matter. I don't think it matters to him. Just. Should opposition research be public so that we can see what what, what weapons they're trying to lob at each other? Yeah. Or do you like to have it just sort of rolled out at a a nice pace throughout the next six months? No, but they won't. won't, Because think about it. They've all got their October surprise. They're probably planning right now. Some big, huge piece of controversial something to kind of tear them apart. And like what could that be? I mean it would almost include – it would have to include something that nobody could walk around, like murder. Yeah. It, yeah, it has to be something you can't – It has to be something so big. Wash away. Because it used to be that your fidelity mattered, that your, you know, that your statements mattered, that you don't say that. Or that you were – the problem is that you, be, you were part of the GOP and you believed in conservatism. But none of it matters because he's everywhere. I don't know. This is a crazy time. You know what it reminds me of? Do you remember Bodie McBoatface? Yes, I do. Did you see the latest news? What they, 
So we thought that was dead because there was a there's a they, research vessel in the UK. They named the sub, right? Uh-huh. We talked about it a little bit last week. So the they they put it out there that we wanted to name a research vessel a hundred million dollar ship, and somebody said let's call it Bodie McBoatface. It then got one hundred twenty thousand votes. The people then finally decided the government uh, in the UK decided we're not going to name it Bodie McBoatface. We're now we were going to name it after David Attenborough, and. And because he was a kind of a naturalist uh, and a and a the spirit of an explorer, a, the spirit of an explorer. There you perfect. go. And then they were going to just name the submarine, yeah, Bodie McBudface. Well, now there's a petition going around to have David Attenborough renamed Bodie McBudface. <laughs> so, it, it, is he alive? It, apparently. Oh wow! But but it's not going away. Ooh. Now we are going to get that man renamed. Someone. Somewhere will be named Bodie McBoatface. It's needed. The people have have had their voice. It needs to be heard. They're ignoring the people. That's it. But that's what Donald's even saying is, just bow to me. I have people that have voted for me. Bow. So, so with this Bodie McBoatface, Terry? Yeah. Um. No, don't. Oh no, 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 no. Shush. I see where you're going. Just don't. Shush. Just don't. No. See, cats will get hurt. Yeah, yeah. You, you're heading down a road that you tried yeah. to do this on Friday and made Matt angry. Yeah, I was the, so mad at the you. The movie's out. It's done great. It was an awesome movie. We're not talking about it unless you want to. No, 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 no. Let's actually just change the subject. Anything else going on in the news we need to worry about? Parents in France. Yes. Okay. They're being warned with that their love for posting intimate photos of their young children on Facebook could land them with a fine and jail time. Wow. Thanks to the country's strict privacy laws, reporting in The Guardian, French authorities have forecast a legal patricide and said if children decide a photo is too revealing, they have grounds to sue up for, uh, what, 45,000 francs, whatever that comes back into. Like too revealing of my child? You take a picture of your kid when they're an infant or one years old, two years old. Like taking a bath. I'm giving them a bath. Right. If you post that on Facebook... And then 20 years down the road, according to French privacy laws, if your kid doesn't like that, yeah. they can sue you. And the parents can be fined. Wow. Now, that might be looking at a law and giving it, this is a possible extreme outcome. But apparently it works under the law. This could be it. It says, a few years, in a few years, children could easily take their parents to court for publishing photos of them when they were young, says uh, a, a internet law and ethics professor in France. Um, It says, but there's something a bit jarring about this proposition. We're all aware of the dangers of third parties taking those pictures, posting online and using them for nefarious purposes. And that's kind of what they're worried about is you post this and then people do things. It says, um, oh, what was it here? Oh, it says, yet it seems a huge knee-jerk reaction from French lawmakers to believe that their parents deserve to be punished for being proud of their newborn children. Right. So it makes it kind of interesting to go back and forth as, as they're, they're, they're looking at this. But it says um, it also by simply removing you – can, you can save it by removing tags of the photos of any baby who might subsequently join a social network instantly <laughs> makes it more a challenge to find and seek them out. So I guess the problem is you post your kid. Once they get, say, a Facebook account and they sign in under that name, then all those photos of them as a little baby, say, in a bathtub or whatever – will follow them into adulthood. Yeah. And that's where it's like, well, okay, what are you doing? Well, 
The funny thing is this is now just the symbol. We've always been violating and ruining our children. We have. Just now, just, now, now we have pictures of it. So instead of having your, your photo book in you know the, the shelf at home right. to where when you know Junior brings over his girlfriend, you can embarrass him. Right. They're worried that it's online, and so the French law says basically you can you can sue your parents because they've done this to you. But it says this, or in some cases, engaging in or strangers can engage in strange games in which people role play as parents on Instagram using stolen photos. Huh. So they're like, oh. So people start co-opting these photos that are just out there for other purposes. And so, yeah. Well, that's sad. That could complicate things. They're ruining a really fun thing. (laughs) Seriously, we have been destroying our children for years. And they could never blame us. I mean, they would. Every therapist did. But now they're going to be able to actually prove, see, Mom, you took this picture of me when my hair wasn't great, when I was in my ugly duckling stage. (laughs) Wearing my headgear, and now I'm miserable. On on what I would characterize as a happier parenting note. Yes. A British father's T-shirt with the words, Dads Don't Babysit. And then below it in parentheses, it says it's called parenting. Emblazoned across it have sparked online conversation about the perception of fathers. Excellent. Al Ferguson of Kent in the UK told ABC News he posted a photo of himself wearing the T-shirt several times on Facebook, but when he uploaded the same shot last week, it took off for some reason, earning thousands of likes and hundreds of comments. The father of three is thrilled by the attention since it's his personal mission to push back against the negative stereotypes about dads uh, on his website called the Dad Network. That's great. It's all about parental equality, really. He says, I'm a really big advocate for moms, and they're wonderful, but I think dads get a raw deal. I just want us all to be perceived as the same. Cool. Dads are people too. I remember growing up, you'd hear like, oh, I can't do this. I have to babysit my kids. Like, well, they're your kids. Yeah, you're not babysitting them. You're just just being with them. He says he's been, uh, he's 28, says he's been a victim of some parenting stereotypes. He recalled a time when he was with his children and, and someone assumed he was taking the day off from work. And he goes, I'm thinking, well, no, I'm a stay-at-home dad, and I look after my family. And it's the assumption that I've, I'm looking – it's an assumption he's looking to stop. Yeah, blowing it up. Yeah. You know what he ought to try? What's that? Have you seen these new shorts where you can – for about five or 600 bucks, you can put anything you want on a pair of shorts, like your picture. Oh, I've seen those. Or like your favorite taco. Right. And it's like your swim trunks. So – I'm thinking – tell me if this is crazy. That's crazy. I'm thinking of oh, having – Oh, you, you wanted me to wait before yeah, yeah, I – wait, okay, yeah, wait till okay. I tell you then, then. So I'm thinking that we ought to – because you know how we had T-shirts made up? Um, allegedly. Allegedly, but we haven't seen them like yet. Like the team T-shirt that yeah. never happened. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I even paid for it. Um, <laughs> but it's gone. But um, I want to have shorts too. made. Okay. For everybody on the team. Mm. With my face on them. No. What do you mean? No. Crazy. No, great idea. No. The Matt Townsend show. Yeah, but no. Yeah. Not, not on, maybe a t-shirt. No, but it's like swim trunks. Maybe a t-shirt. I think swim trunks might be a, a road too far. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I agree. I don't know if I want to walk around with your face on a search shorts. Why? I just, it doesn't seem like a fashion uh, move that I'm going to make at, at any point in my life. I'm thinking it's more just marketing. It's not even a fashion thing. It's more just marketing. Do you want to hand these out? To people? No, I think we should all – yeah, we'd all wear them. Mm. And then let's go swimming. No. But, then, but then you think about it. Every time somebody sits down, they're sitting down on your face. That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe we just put my face on the side 
of the trunks, not on the back or the front, just the sides. Mm-hmm. With me like waving or like. Can we just put a, like the, the show logo or something? We'll put the show logo too there, yeah. Oh, but still you want the face. I just think it's important. It's a it's an option. It's something we can uh, talk about and find a way. I mean, to there's there's you can have completely, but this this thing you can go and have your picture, your wedding picture, put on your swim trunks. Mm, no, you could have your ice cream label if you have one, Ben. Put on your swim trunks. Now, labels, your dog labels and logos, yes. And me faces, no, no. I just think it's a great idea. My people thought it was a great idea too. Well, you should you should make some and then wear it to work, wear them to work, and we can we can judge if it's a good idea or not. Yeah, I just got to get the money from Don. Okay, about six hundred bucks. Times we'd probably need about ten pair, so it's getting up there a bit, six grand maybe. Hmm. Well, we'll see about that. I think it's a great idea. I don't know why I don't get support around here. Anyway, we'll take a break. We'll come back, talk more about shorts. We're also going to be speaking with uh, New York Times bestselling author Joseph Grenny about uh, expectations. When people violate expectations, how are you supposed to handle that? Talking about his book, Crucial Accountability. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you get through this crazy thing we call life. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever um, had somebody, you know, set an expectation that they just didn't live up to? Well, you know, you got to deal with it. And how to handle people that aren't accountable. It's it's a hard, hard deal. And so we did a wonderful interview that um, that I, uh, I remember with Joseph Grenny. Um, who is a New York Times bestselling author of the book Crucial Accountability. And I wanted to replay that today um, for you. It's basically when somebody violates your expectations, how do you you know, work on that without harming the relationship? And um, again, Dr. or Joseph Grenny is a New York Times bestselling author, a keynote speaker, a leading social scientist for business performance, he works with a lot of the Fortune 300 and Fortune 500. Um, now, here's the deal. When the interview started, I just simply stated this. Is it not human nature to let people down at times? It is. Stuff happens. You know, sometimes it's because we have expectations that we didn't set appropriately. Sometimes it's because they fall short. But sort of the nature of life is that we're going to let each other down now and again. So the, the real issue is how do we deal with those in the moments, not whether or not they're going to occur. Yeah. And so is that is that what you write about in the book, Crucial Accountability? Well, we kind of came at it from a different direction. We were looking for what we called moments of disproportionate influence. We wondered, are there just a few moments that make the biggest difference in either accelerating intimacy in a relationship, creating connection and trust, or creating division and, uh, and disconnection. Hmm. And as we started looking for those kind of moments, we found that those are moments when people disagree or disappoint. Those are the two big categories. And it turns out how people handle those moments can literally become a trust accelerator. 
it can actually profoundly deepen the relationship rather than become divisive. So we tend to fear these moments when, in fact, they're the moments of greatest opportunity if we know how to handle them. Oh, interesting. So you, we, and, and we just kind of have a normal conversation. We're having a normal experience, and then all of a sudden, we get to a, a choice point, really, where it's either going where we might disagree or disappoint. And that's a really important moment because it could either drive us to intimacy, I guess you're saying, or, you know, send us on to the great, you know, MMA fight down. <laughs> yeah, and our, and our tendency, particularly, you know, in the in Intermountain West here, and I know we've got a, an international audience here as well, but in a variety of cultures, our tendency in those moments is towards silence. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, we just finished a study with about uh, 4,000 subjects across the world. We asked them, what's in your fault? So do you have something that's just been sort of festering in silence for a long time? You've been biting your lip and putting up with it forever and ever. And if you had a magic wand and could open that vault and just let something out, if you could say one thing to one person with absolutely no fear of consequences, because that's what the magic wand's going to do for you, who would you say it to and what would you say? And my goodness, Matt, <laughs> I, it was just, uh, it was excruciating reading through these thousands of responses. Uh, wow. Particularly when we found out people that have been struggling with their husband or wife, with a boss, with a colleague. So one person described how the person in the cubicle next to her, apparently she believes has a cat that urinates on her purse or shoes or something like that. <laughs> and it creates this awful stench. And this individual has been living with this horrible odor for four and a half years <laughs> and saying nothing about it. Oh, man. So when we ask people to just sort of open the vault for a moment... They talked about disagreements and disappointments and frustrations and concerns that they had been agonizing with. And here's the point. They seem to believe that silence is really silent, when in fact it isn't. Silence is often incredibly noisy, because if you aren't talking out your concerns, you're acting them out. Yeah. You're avoiding people. You're acting resentful. You're gossiping. It is showing up in today's relationship. So that's why these moments make such a big difference, because if you choose not to address them in an effective way, they are causing incredible dysfunction and pain. Wow. And and yet uh, this woman could keep it for four and a half years. I mean, really, you, you unleash the Kraken in that research because you've got you've got people talking. I bet. I mean, is I, I guess it feels good for them to release it and be able to say it. But none of those people in the, still knew how to go home and really say it. Right, yeah, they, they yeah, didn't the know how to go deal like with it. Or, yeah, when, when you're answering a survey or talking to others, it's it's sort of like a drug. Uh, it you know it temporarily reduces the symptoms, but it really doesn't solve the problem sometimes. So yeah, it's like taking a pain reliever, and, uh, and oftentimes gossip serves that sort of purpose. That it's a it's a temporary anesthetic, but it really doesn't deal with the issue. Huh. So what when we and we have these issues and. Whether we act on them or whether we talk about them or not, they're, they're, you're saying they're coming out. They're going to be acted out. But you could see people that would you know, have an issue with their spouse and have it for 30 years and never yeah, get it out. Yeah, and that's, that's, ex- that's exactly what the study showed, that you know, we've got people that are saying, you know, I'd, I, I'd really like to end my relationship with my loved one. I, and they would list these grievances that they'd been accumulating for decades frequently. And, you know, they probably had attempted to bring them up, but probably not in a particularly effective way, or perhaps the other person wasn't receptive to it. But right now what they're doing is just harboring and harboring and building and building, and silence isn't silent. 
Right. We think we're getting away with not approaching these really vulnerable conversations, and we are. We're paying a price every single day. You you have a name for what you call the first thirty seconds of a of a difficult conversation or an accountability conversation. You call it the hazardous half minute. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, this this was something remarkable in our research. So as we started finding that these few moments, I mean, it's just a few minutes a week when we have to talk about something emotionally or intellectually tender to us and and vulnerable. We we found that those few moments made such an enormous difference in organizational performance in our personal life. So we began to put a microscope on them and and see how people who deal with them well address things differently. What are the skills? What are the learnable practices that they use? And the remarkable thing, Matt, was that we found that you could predict how a conversation with it would end with about 97% precision by watching just the first 30 seconds of it. So how people behave in those 30 seconds disproportionately affects even the next hour and uh, and how the relation how the conversation would come out. Now now I need to qualify this. We we spent about 10,000 hours observing uh, people in these moments. And what I'm not suggesting is that if you use the skills appropriately, then everyone's going to agree with you and they'll magically change and give you everything that you want in your right. life. That isn't true. What I am suggesting is that you'll get to the end of this conversation, and number one, you will be heard. You'll be able to get your point across. And number two, you'll, you'll have an effect on the relationship that is generally positive. So if you handle these first 30 seconds, the hazardous half minute well, there are just a few things you have to do. Uh, that's the key to the rest of it. Interesting. And, and you're going to get it out. It doesn't mean it's going to be idyllic, but you, you are going to get your information out. You're going to be more likely to be heard, and you're more likely to be, um, to what? To get some closure. Yeah, to have an influence. Yeah. And that's, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. Because, so no. you know, the truth is we, we come into these conversations with partial truth anyway. Right. Uh, we aren't the possessor of all wisdom, and so you shouldn't hope that the whole conversation is going to move your direction at the end or else your attitude is wrong. You need to be coming in curious and open because if you aren't, then you'll help shut the other person down as well. Yeah. So your goal ought to be able to listen as well as you're uh, expressing yourself and perhaps see things at least somewhat differently by the time you're done. Mm, beautiful. Let's t- let's take a break. We're talking with Joseph Grenny. If you go to his website, josephgrenny.com, um, you can you can find out more about him, his speaking. But you can also go to vitalsmarts.com, um, and they're the organization that really Joseph's been one of the great leaders in and has been uh, writing a lot of the books, including the book we're talking about today, Crucial Accountability. We'll take a break. When we come back, Joseph's going to give us the, you know, the process. How do we start this conversation? How do, we, how do we handle those first 30, 40 seconds of the conversation and hopefully lead it into a more accountable conversation? Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Joseph Grenny, New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, leading social scientist, and uh, one of the authors of the New York Times bestselling book, Crucial Accountability, 
He's been talking to us about uh, these important conversations that we have to we have to have that we we need to have an, a moment of accountability on what's going on in our lives, where we're struggling, and he's teaching us how to do that. Uh, welcome back, Joseph. Thanks again for being here. Oh, it's so good to be on the show. I love I love what you do, Matt, and appreciate your influence in the world. Thank you. And and we and honestly, I sit there and I think we need like hours with Joseph to sit down and. Instead, we get just 20 minutes or so, and I want to pick your brain because, when, like you were saying, we've got this 30 seconds or so to, to begin this conversation, and that 30 seconds could set the tone, really the, the likelihood of even getting through this conversation. What should we do to, to start having this accountable moment? Well, so there's there, there's uh, two sets of things. The first is things you better do before you ever open your mouth, <laughs> and the, and the the second is what we tend to crave. We just wish that there was a magic script or something. And so I can give some uh, suggestions from what we've seen that's very effective once you do open your mouth. So the, the the first piece really is make sure your own emotions are clear before you open your mouth. We often don't do that. So yeah. when people let us down, it often triggers a whole ca- cascade of emotions inside of us. And if you don't deal with those, they will govern the outcome of the conversation. You just can't fake it. You, are, you aren't a good enough actor. So if you're feeling hurt or diminished or angry or scared, you need to pull aside. You need to process those emotions in a safe and effective way. And the book Crucial Accountability describes some really great strategies that people use for understanding, appreciating, and validating their own emotions. So mm. that's a really critical yeah. piece of first work. And often we don't do that. We no, it, no. Right into trying to fix it. Yeah, we just kind of wing it, don't we? But you don't yeah, wing your yeah. emotions, or they'll wing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, so, yeah. we, so we sit down. We kind of make sure we're centered. We know what our real emotional uh, pains are. We, we, we just want to be aware, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, it's taking responsibility for your emotions. So if you feel hurt or violated or what have you, own it and take responsibility for it, but validate it and appreciate it. So that's, that's real important inner work that has to be done before you open your mouth. And mm. that's often where we go awry. That's good. So once we got our emotions taken care of, then what? All right. So now, now it's time to go public. Now the challenge is the other person is probably in an emotional, fra- emotionally fragile place too. So we need to be aware of that. There are three things you've got to do in those first 30 seconds. The first has nothing to do with the disappointment that you're wanting to address. So if, if they've let you down, we often want to leap right into that as an issue. Yeah. You need to understand that human beings are hardwired to, to scan the environment for threats. So, so just, just a little bit of background on the brain science of this. When you enter a room, even if it's not sort of an emotionally uh, uh, challenging situation, when you enter a room with other people, you are consciously or unconsciously scanning that room for threats. You're, uh, you're, you're aware of, am I dressed right? Am I appropriate or not? Are people going to judge me? And how am I going to feel? Where should I sit? Should I stand? Should I, you know, all of these sort of things are happening in our minds. We're looking for anything that could make us physically or emotionally at risk. The, the same is, is true tenfold uh, during a crucial conversation. When you enter a moment where you feel emotionally vulnerable or some outcome of yours is at risk, the, your sensitivity to any evidence that the other person means you harm or could prosecute an ill intent against you is heightened. Mm. All you have to do to make another person feel unsafe during a crucial conversation is nothing. 
Yeah. I mean, think think about it for a minute. Yeah. If the other person is just stoic and giving off no expression at all, you feel threatened. Totally. And so your first task during a crucial conversation is to generate evidence that the other person is safe with you. Hmm. You have to intentionally and effectively let them know two things. The first is that you care deeply about their interests, concerns, or problems. So you, you have to generate evidence for them that whatever current concerns or fears they've got in this moment, you care about those. Now, this does not mean you're going to take responsibility for those. This does not mean you're going to cave in. This doesn't mean you're going to fix everything for them. All it means is that you care yeah. and that you, you don't intend them harm. So that's the first thing that you've got to do. We call that creating a condition of mutual purpose. That's great. They need to know that you care about their interests and yours. The second is you have to generate a condition we call mutual respect. They need to know not just that you care about their problems, interests, and concerns, but also that you care about them. Now, this gets especially problematic if they've behaved in a way that you find despicable or right. yeah. If they've harmed you or hurt you or insulted you, it's hard to feel respectful or generate that feeling of respect in those cases. But, but the, the principle here goes back to that first thing, that inner work that you've got to do. You've got to deal with your own provocation or judgments and, uh, and triggers and get that out of the way so that you can see them as a person worthy of civility and respect right. and then generate evidence that you see them that way. Because that goes back to your values, right? That's your principles. I, my general principles would say I should treat people with respect even if they're yeah. not yeah, it does. You know, always the nicest people. I'm, I believe in respecting people. And I think those lofty principles get lost in the impulse of the moment. Yeah, exactly. So when, when, when something's triggering for us, it's easy to lose it. But I think you're right. That is a fundamental thing that we'd all agree on. So yeah. that's, our, that's our first job. Then we've got to kind of convince them we, are, we really do care. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there, there are a lot of ways that we do this. Again, we're letting them know we care about their interests. We're letting them know that we care about them. Now, now the key here is, understanding this isn't a trick or a technique. So a lot of people say, great, well, so what do I do? I smile and, and I let them know, hey, I mean you no harm, and then I move on, right? right. No. <laughs> That's what everyone's thinking, right? Yes. The, the way you'll know you're done with step one is you'll see them exhale, their shoulders will relax, they'll look like they're finally a little bit open uh, to the conversation. As soon as you see that body language that says, okay, I think they feel safe, then you're ready to proceed to step two. Until you see that, you're not ready. Yeah, until they relax. Right, so yeah. this isn't about just delivering a script, right. precisely. That's good. What, so what's step two once we can get there? We've got about two minutes. Okay, so ha- all right. So having created safety, the second, op- the, the, second, uh, um, the second thing is what we have been waiting to do, and that is describing the problem. The trick here is to, uh, to strip out all of the judgment language we like to use, to just be factually clear about what we expected and what we got, yeah. the gap. So it's letting them know, hey, I, I thought you were going to pick me up at 2 o'clock. You actually arrived at 2.30. Now, you notice in what I said that there were no judgment words. It's not emotionally laden. What we tend to want to do in that moment is to say, hey, you just, you, you just blew me off. Yeah, you left uh, me you, hanging, right? Yeah, yeah, you just dumped me. You, you couldn't care less about me. We want to put all that in. The second principle is just describing the gap factually. And finally, the third step is to put yourself in a condition of curiosity and ask for their point of view. Hmm. And now you move to inquiry. So you've, you've stated the problem, 
and now you need to show as much interest in their view of it as you have uh, for your own. So those, those are the three basic things we got to do in those first few seconds. Well, and those are really interesting principles. Like, so non-judgmentalness is really kind of the second one, but and the third one is curiosity, because then I, I might actually get data from them that validate or clarifies why they're late. They, they may give me yeah. new data that convince shows me that oh yeah oh okay well yeah sorry I had a flat tire oh yeah, okay they, well yeah exactly the case. You know, you'll, you'll sometimes get new information. Sometimes you'll just get new perspective on yep. the information that you've already got. You understand their motives or fears or concerns in a way that that softens you. Yeah, or just yeah, you might just get reconfirmation that they struggle doing anything on time. I mean, you know what yeah, I mean. Sometimes it's just more information, good. right? I mean, the cool that's thing right. about the yeah, whole thing is, Joseph. I just think you've you've really done a great job in in saying, look. These are hard conversations, but there's general ba- – I mean, there's basic principles that will carry you through it if you'll just stick in it and stay in the conversation and be willing to have it. There are. And what we hope that, uh, that the book, that Crucial Accountability and Crucial Conversations does for people is just give them handles. Just give them ways of breaking apart this morass of emotion that's going on because these are difficult moments. They're the, they're the most challenging of our lives. And so hopefully having a few handholds will help people take it apart, slow it down, and get to the place that they really want to be. Uh, well, I love it, and I, I really do appreciate you and the work you're doing. Um, everybody, go check out Joseph's website, josephgrenny.com, and also you can go to vitalsmarts.com, which is an organization Joseph has uh, started and, and is a major um, leader in. And he's he's writing these books, really, because we all need to learn. We need to learn how to get some of this pain out so we don't hold this pain for the rest of our lives. Crucial accountability, crucial conversations, great resources for you. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be talking to our buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. All about how my life got flipped, turned upside down And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show We are going to shoot it down uh, uh, to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation Jerem Jordan today, Brian Logan filling in for Spencer Linton And uh, hello, gentlemen What's up? Hello! Hello. Do you guys like this song? Yeah, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, baby because his world was tossed upside down. Yeah. Just like BYU Sports this weekend. Yeah, that's what happened on Saturday, didn't it? Oh! Three potential national championships. The whiff. The whiff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bummer. Bummer. But I, I've got something that'll pull us all out of that. Are you I ready? I don't know that that's allowed here at BYU. Oh, oh, what? What? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to pull you guys out of that. Yeah. It's no, it's a legal thing. Oh, good. And it's um, it's well, but yeah, but okay. it's the church lady. She she Dana Carvey's church lady made a new appearance <laughs> on SNL on SNL, and yeah. we we have a bit of the the church lady talking to Trump about the Bible, and I just thought it would lift you guys up. Our final guest today is the presumptive Republican divorcee, I mean nominee. Please welcome the tangerine tornado, Donald J. Trump. 
Um, does Johnny ever take a gander at the Holy Scripture? Honestly, I love all the books in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I do. They're all terrific. Corinthians Part Two, <laughs> Book of Revelations, Two Genesis, Two Furious, which says, and I quote, "Love thy neighbor as thyself," and like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Mm. See, he could even throw in a good ad. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that great? Genesis Part Two. I, I was thinking that I would win an election in the Vatican. That Spencer would have really appreciated that. <laughs> he would have good old Spazance. Where 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 did he go? Did it did Brian run him out? Is that what it is? I think he went you'd, to Vegas. You'd be surprised by or not by Brian's popularity, man. No, I know. He's a man of the people. He he's been gone since the fall. Yeah. It is this groundswell of yes, that <laughs> Brian is back. So yeah, it's vacation time for Spencer. Now. Oh That's man, we need yeah. we need to get Brian that get Brian that money. I'm only I'm only uh, popular in Provo. Not true. Once you, once I get the Orem, I, I lose everything. So <laughs> You're right, man. The, I'm from up, bro. Get, I try not to get any speeding tickets outside of Provo because I can't get out of it. <laughs> really? No. I'm from I'm from Salt Lake County, and they're talking about you all the time. Oh, that's even worse. Pac-12 oh, country. Oh my god. Yeah, Pac-12 country. There's 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 no. You know BYU fans there, obviously. Did uh, and, then, there, and, then, <laughs> and then there's and what? then and then there. It's a little bit more diverse, so it's yeah. less. Uh, it's it's more black people there. So I, yeah. I just fit in. I'm just I just become a regular person. You just disappear right into yeah, the. I do disappear. They, <laughs> the most the most they may say is like, man, that guy is like short. Why is his four year old half his size? That's the most like <laughs> look I make. No, they say that guy is ripped. Isn't he that famous guy on BYU Sports Nation? Isn't that isn't that Mister? Isn't that who is that Logan, Spencer? the city of Logan, <laughs> was named after? <laughs> yeah, is that Brian? Is that Jason? You guys, hey, uh, here's a question for you because you're you guys are big in the press, you're big into sports. Let's say that you are in a playoff series and you're you scored 27 points and your name is Kevin Love, and you're answering questions with LeBron James next to you. LeBron James. LeBron. L listen, um, this is Kevin Love not wanting to really extend the press conference because. He has to go do something. Just see if you can detect what he has to go do. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, Game of Thrones on tonight. I'm trying to get home and watch that. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's got the Game of Thrones. Yeah. He's got to watch Game tonight. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. What? Uh, do you watch Game of Thrones? No. Hmm. No. Do you watch Game of Thrones, Jeff? I, I don't. No. What? Is that? Is it? What? Yeah. I thought it was, like, super popular. Yeah, it, it is. It is very popular. It, it is. Oh, okay. it is. But, you, but you guys don't. No, no. We're not oh, popular okay. people. Oh, okay. I, you know, I just, I watched half of last season and I'm watching this season. But mm -hmm. uh, my wife is kind of obsessed with it. So. <clears throat> is she? I, yeah, I just, I just, I, you know, I'm trying to, how could I say this, be a better husband. So I'm sacrificing. Oh, wow. And now, 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 check this out, though. Within my sacrifice of last year of trying to spend more time with her by watching a TV show that I completely knew nothing about. Uh, I've grown to like it. <laughs> and now, and so, oh, I thought you were like babysitting, or not babysitting, because husbands don't babysit, or dads don't babysit. Yeah, I thought dude, you were just dad, watching your child. Hey, Matt, dads totally babysit. Mothers don't babysit. It's, dads it's babysit called them. parenting. It's dads, called parenting. Dads babysit. Exactly. Uh, moms don't babysit. So, but I thought you were just like, while she was watching, you were taking care of the children. Oh. Feeding no. them. 
I bathing just, them. No, I I do that on a regular basis. Yeah. Anyway, that. see. So, yeah, yeah. That's a part of. Oh it. man. So what do what are you guys going to do on your show today? You're you're still doing the show, right? Just we are Spence doing the show, and we're discussing uh, BYU's 0 for three with uh, on national championship Saturday. That plays into a bigger topic, yeah. Which is, does BYU overachieve or underachieve in athletics? Mm. Kind of depends on what the expectations are, kind of per program. That's a great we'll question. break it down, and we we have uh, varying opinions, so we'll discuss uh, what we think and why. So. It's going to be a fun conversation today. That's a also, great question. Mike Littlewood will join us at the baseball team for the first time all season. They lost three games uh, in a week. So how do they bounce back? Big series uh, coming up this weekend with San Francisco. And then, of course, Leah Garner of the women's golf team. If you didn't, this was the success story out of the weekend. Good. Women's golf uh, as a team birdied, had two birdies on hole 18 to advance by one stroke. To the ends from the NCAA regionals to the championship, <laughs> so they could be playing for a national title. Wow! In, uh, next week they could have had. So BYU has been playing that they've played for three national titles. That would have been the fourth. They, in yeah, they, this week. they're one of twenty-four teams in the wow. uh, in the championships next week. Very cool. So <sighs> she'll join us. She's she's one of the two players that had a birdie on eighteen. That you is talk cool. about pressure. Oh, totally. Woo, totally. And, um, you know, I'm a golfer myself, but I could have gone pro, but yeah. decided not to. Mm, decided yeah. to do the marriage thing. Yeah, instead. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's, I think uh, you're doing what matters most. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, know, you got to yeah. store up treasures in heaven, not, <laughs> not on this earth. So good job, Matt. Whew. That was a great. Did you just quote a scripture? Yeah, it's a scripture. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know where, what it is, but I, think I it's, do know that Jesus said it because it was in red, I think. Yeah, it was in red. I think it was in red. Right. See, so. Lady in red. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's something different. Oh, my That bad. was different. That's a different red. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, All right. We're going to leave you guys on that note. Uh, have a great show. Help, help BYU Sports Nation through the sadness of those losses. And good luck to you. We will try. And Brian, I'm sure we'll talk again tomorrow. Uh, you can text me. Okay. We'll text. We'll text. <laughs> text me. Text me. See you guys. Have a great show. Knock yeah, it dead. <laughs> Peace out, yo. Cool. Man, quoting scripture, like, boink, just like that. And then Jerem in his falsetto. I missed that when he was out of town. Hey, as you know, we like to, um, we like to help coach the cons. Bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? Um, this con today was um, perpetrated by a female, 41-year-old Colleen Homfeld. Police have arrested her after stealing a ring from a corpse at a Texas funeral home in an incident captured on surveillance video. Odessa police arrested 41-year-old Colleen uh, Homfeld on a charge of theft from a human corpse. Police have said the stole the ring that was stolen was only worth about ten dollars. <clears throat> Blasted, and they released security video of the woman seen entering a viewing room at a at a you know a mortuary, Sunset Memorial Gardens and funeral home, reaching into the open casket, fumbling around to remove something from the corpse, and then driving off in a car. So, just as a coaching opportunity for this wonderful person, um, a couple things: a check for video. Surveillance equipment always. You're going to want to check for that, right? You don't want surprises. B, know your jewelry. You know? 
You don't want to risk a charge for $10. It's just not worth it. And know the victim, because if you know the victim, you'll know if they were carrying valuable jewelry. Ooh, wow. Ben, bringing inside information that only a true con would know. I prefer the term confidence man. Thank you. Confidence man. Uh, Also, another story. Two guided missile containers are found bobbing in the Pacific. Two large shipping containers, each stamped with the words, it contains guided missiles, were discovered bobbing in the Pacific Ocean near southeast Alaska Island um, community of Craig. Alaska state troopers say both were empty and the information tags attached to the boxes was sent to the U.S. military authorities. Troopers were investigating the discovery of one suspicious box Sunday, but when they got a radio message uh, from a mariner that had found another one. So, you know, don't always believe what the container says. I I don't know that the military would actually have a little tag that says it contains guided missiles. Pretty sure they'd have like a name for the missile. So don't always trust that. As you know, too, we like to end the show with a hero story. And today's hero story is a Florida man who calls 911 after hearing his wife being kidnapped on a Bluetooth device. Listen to this story. A South Florida man recently helped save his wife's life by calling 911 as he heard her being kidnapped uh, at gunpoint through her Bluetooth earpiece. The harrowing incident happened this past Tuesday when 49-year-old Priscilla Cercone was sitting uh, in her car in front of her Hollywood, Florida home, according to a probable affidavit, uh, cause affidavit obtained by NBC or ABC News. Sorry, Cercone um, had just picked up the mail and was talking to her husband via Bluetooth device when a 21-year-old man, later identified as Bernard Owen, suddenly approached her, pointed a handgun at her, and ordered her to open the back door of her car or he would kill her. And that's where it all began. She feared for her life, so she opened the door and... um, who uh, then ordered her to start driving, according to the affidavit. Owens pointed the handgun at Cercone's head while she was driving and demanded that she take him to an ATM after she told him she did not have any money on her, according to the affidavit. So her husband was still on the phone. He heard the entire thing and tried to figure out what was happening. And, uh, you know, he, he was asking her, but she was too fearful to say stuff as he was talking in her ear. Eventually, they drove to a nearby bank where she withdrew $400. She gave it to Owens, who then demanded that she drive back to her house. And uh, that's when 911 was there and took care of it because Cercone's husband had made the call. Police were already at her home by the time she got there. And that's where um, Owens jumped out and tried to run from police. But he was eventually caught and arrested. So there you go. A husband taking care of his wife. That's a pretty cool story. Folks, we can't do the show without you. We'll be back again tomorrow. More tools, more information to help you see the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll talk again tomorrow.